Visible is a wireless carrier that is not invisible. It is pretty clear from the name, actually, radio waves are invisible. And I can say this with authority as a licensed amateur radio operator. That being said, Visible won't be giving you the power to see light outside the visible spectrum. It's actually way better because having that ability would make getting around very difficult and distracting. What you do get with Visible is unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. You get one line of wireless, just $25 a month, which is great in these times of economic uncertainty. That is one line for $25, taxes and fees included. So whatever you're doing at this moment, please stop. Switch immediately. Now, monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Wir gerne sehen in was ist los. It's dein Freundo Seth. I'm learning German. Yeah, in case you didn't know what that was. That is me trying to impress you with the little German that I know. Right now, I am actually learning German. I took it in high school. I goofed off the entire time. I did some other language learning apps. They taught me things like where the taxi stand is and how to find a bus, um, but not a lot of conversational uh German. Thankfully, that's what Babbel is all about. Babbel teaches you language conversationally, which let's face it, that is what you want to know anyway. I don't know. When I was in school, you learned like how to count. You learned like the colors. You learned the shapes. Those are all important things, but they don't help you when you're in uh, like Cologne, Germany with Ein Nierenstein, which by the way is German for kidney stone, uh, an experience I can unfortunately speak personally to. But I've been using Babbel to learn to speak German again, uh, better than I have before. I actually really like it because it is conversational. It's a little bit more relaxed. One of the things that it does that I really like is it'll sometimes show you what the literal English translation is. And I don't know why, but I find that very helpful in sort of understanding the structure, the grammar of a language and sort of putting myself into that mind space. Since I'm only in Germany for Gamescom, which is like a week, week and a half, I'm not immersed in the German language. I'm not immersed in German culture. So what I do is the second best thing. I'm taking Babbel. Hopefully this year when I go to Germany, I'll be able to impress all the Germans with how much German I know from learning through Babbel. The app has pronunciation recognition, so you'll be able to learn how to speak better with your accent, how to actually properly pronounce the words. That way you won't get made fun of by a, a group of older German men because you said Apfelstrudel and not Apfelstrudel. Um, no, it's really cool. Uh, I'm going to say right now there is a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now you can get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners because you guys are the best ones, by the way, at babbel.com slash realm. Get 60% off at babbel.com slash realm. That is spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash realm. Rules and restrictions may apply. Nintendo! Nintendo Waste Chat for the week of 
of January 21st, 2015. And drop what you're doing, because apparently Ryu is available for pre-order in some stores. Best Buy. I am Jose Otero. This is IGN's Nintendo Show. Joining me this week is Per Schneider. I'm not going to drop what I'm doing, but I did pre-order. Yesterday, so yes. we're months ahead. you got to pre-order them at least three months That's in advance. Right. That's yep. how it works. Yeah. And joining us as well, possibly not pre-ordering a Ryu, I don't know, is Jared Petty. Uh, yeah, ready to run out the door and get one right now. Really? Uh, yeah. That's, okay. Uh, that's the, uh, absolutely fascinated by that. Uh, and thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So let's kick things off with uh, some impressions. We have a lot to talk about, but let's start with this week, uh, a couple big releases. First, Zack and Wiki uh, virtual console release. If you haven't played that, you yeah. should play that. Uh, very, very fun Capcom game. Although... By adventure game standards, not maybe one of the best that plays by the rules because you can totally screw yourself on a puzzle, mm-hmm. but still a very good game. It's a little, it's a little buggy at times too, um, but it's basically kind of like this Rube Goldberg machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, based game, right? Where you're trying to influence things around the, the screen uh, and, and the paths of the characters to make things happen. But I really enjoyed it when it came out way back when. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it was one of uh, one of many Capcom titles for Nintendo platforms that were really mm-hmm. unique and, and you know, I wish just had continued into the future. We Fun fact, that. the director of that game went on to direct uh, co-direct Resident Evil 6. That's right. Uh, Jared, any words on Zack and Wiki? Just yeah, folks, yeah. quickly. If, if you enjoy adventure games, it's totally worth your time. It's not perfect, uh, but its flaws are forgivable, mm-hmm. and it's it's overall a very enjoyable yeah, experience. Yeah, very charming, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. Great. And then we also have Minecraft Story Mode is next week. Uh, so this is, a, oh no, this was this it's week. out. January 21st yeah. release, five bucks. Uh, we've mentioned it on the show, and you got to play it? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I've talked about this before. My fa- my kids are huge Minecraft fans, so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to try and see how they're liking this uh, this story-based game. It's not at all like Minecraft, right? It uses the world and the look and the, you know, the unique kind of pixel blockiness of the Minecraft universe to do a classic telltale adventure game where, you know, uh, there's a lot of dialogue. It's spoken dialogue. It's actually the main character. If you pick the male lead is Patton Oswalt, right? right? Mr. Ratatouille. You'll uh, you'll hear him uh, in there. And it's just, it's very much like the kind of do-it-yourself machinima style Minecraft stories that people tell on YouTube, mm-hmm. but you can actually interact. And I like that uh, do-it-yourself element. This gave Telltale a chance to take a property that didn't have a lot of story baggage, mm-hmm. so they could really do what they wanted with it. And they did some... I, I like the direction they took it. I've really enjoyed story mode so far. I, I especially like the fact that that given that openness, they kind of went with a whole, like, 80s buddy comedy movie routine. Yeah. There's a Goonies-y, Ghostbusters-y vibe that they've referenced to it, and you can definitely pick that up. And not all the jokes work all the time, but enough of them do that I was laughing most of the way through the first episode, and I've, I've really been quite impressed with it. Yeah, and I think if you're not if you're not someone who plays a lot of adventure games, like know that the pacing is a little slower, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not like you're exploring this vast universe or even like Minecraft style building a lot of stuff. They have a lot of kind of Minecraft in-jokes. Yeah. Um, you know, like the way the universe behaves when you put down an object, how it becomes part of the texture or something. Right. Uh, it's really cute. But it is um, it is classic telltale in that, you know, you see options on the screen and on the Wii U, um, it's almost like a hybrid between the console versions and the you know the tablet v- or, or iPhone um, uh, mobile versions where you can tap on the gamepad to actually select one of the options. Mm. And it has like these time choices, right? Like somebody asks you something and you have to pick an answer and they're actually branching story paths in the series that carry through to the next episode, just like in The Walking Dead. I will say though, the stakes aren't as high and like the thrills aren't quite like in a Walking Dead type game or Tales from the Borderlands. No, it's is... more family, 
It's a this little is more a comedy, yeah. uh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, there, you know, there, there's a dramatic arc, and yeah. there's characters. You're like, oh no, what's going to happen to them? But it doesn't have that deep hitting emotional impact. This is there mostly for laughs. It's a wonderful convergence of adventure games and Minecraft. Two things I play a lot of, yeah. uh, and so seeing them together, I think they really nailed it. Um, I also appreciate when games are funny. That's not all that common, and this one consistently manages yeah. to make you laugh. Yeah, it's Sweet. worth a look. Also this week, just as a quick aside, the, um, excuse me, the Super Mario Advance 4, Super Mario Bros. 3, one of the most confusing video game box <laughs> titles of all time. Why? However, the special thing about this, outside of being a GBA port of Super Mario Bros. 3, which is of course a classic, um, is that this also comes with support for the e-reader levels being unlocked in the game. Now this was a cool little extra, neat little feature. Before there were Amiibo, there were e-reader cards. How about that? Yeah, you had this um, little, I mean, you, you had to swipe them like a credit card. In, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. you went, and, and Donkey Kong was happened. what, five cards you had to swipe? Yeah, something like that. have yeah. mercy. Was, yeah. Dark days, dark, dark days. I Actually, thought it was cool. Do you though. still have yours? Oh, I don't. I absolutely have it. I have um, the Mario Party cards, everything. Yeah, so this is eight bucks on the eShop, but you should you should consider checking it out. It, it is always weird, right, when the Game Boy Advance game on Wii U comes up because you kind of ask yourself why. Yeah. Get over asking yourself why, and if you haven't played it, try it out. Um, I thought the most interesting slash weird thing about this re-release to me was that it has an opening cinematic for Super Mario Bros. 3, a mm-hmm. game that did not have that uh, when it came out. It just had, you know, these curtains and sort of a stage. And yeah. this thing has, like, this own little storytelling sequence that just feels so... I forgot about Weird. That. Strangely yeah. tacked on, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's strangely tacked on. It's like, well, you want an explanation? Here you go. I got a but question, Jose. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. Does this include both the American and Japanese uh, e-reader levels or mm-hmm. just the American? It's probably levels, just the you know? American ones. Knowing knowing uh, just how some of this stuff ends up, like, I don't think the Japanese ones were ever available on the card here, were they? Yeah, no, I don't think they were. That's why I wondered weren't. if they threw them in. Because yeah. if, if I remember correctly, there are unique ones to each territory, aren't there? Mm, I'd have to do some digging if I, you know the answer. I uh, don't. I'm throwing it out. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. It, um, it reminds us too, though, that you know Nintendo did a lot more with the GBA and kind of bringing their classics to the portable format, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I, these games are so fantastic. I mean, you can go back and play Super Mario Brothers three right now, mm-hmm. and you'll find it fresh and awesome and well tuned. And it's like I kind of lament that we haven't seen a great collection for the 3DS that has these games in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it'd be, no. it'd be a, a good one to tackle. Yep. No, it would be a good one to tackle. I mean, uh, otherwise you're just getting the virtual console originals, which yep. seems to be what they want you to do. Yep. All right, so on to uh, much more deeper uh, impressions on Mario & Luigi Paper Jam. Uh, Jared penned our review for IGN um, and want to give you your your didn't say. Like it. Yeah, yeah. I, I I thought it was mediocre. High, yes. mediocre right on the edge of okay. I, I thought about giving it okay, but in the end I thought I actually didn't have all that much fun playing this game. By by halfway through I didn't want to play anymore. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's never a good sign. Mm. And, no, and does, what was I mean for you the you've played Paper Mario before and yeah. you've played Mario and Luigi exactly. Before, yeah, I, you, I thought Bowser's Inside Story was brilliant. I okay. love that game. I really really enjoy it. And Paper Mario is, is a beloved franchise for me. Yeah. I, I love the charm of it. I think it does very clever things with mechanics, even some funny things with storytelling. But this uh, should be twice as good. It has both games. It, it should it. be. I was very excited about this game. Yeah. I I, th- I was I really wanted to do this review. I was like, all right, this is going to be fantastic. And it just 
wasn't. Now, here's what it does right. It does combat right. It does combat beautifully right. Fantastic combat. Bros attacks and trio attacks and paper airplane minigames and boomerang throwing and battle cards and excellent amiibo integration. Uh, mm. Yoshi was, a, my little yarn Yoshi was a real help at the end of the game. It yes. was great. Nice. And I, I loved all of it. The battle system is so good. Unfortunately, the game is padded out with these ranging between mediocre and awful mini games. It's uh-huh. really tedious toad hunts that really are like old bad adventure game pixel hunts mm. where you found 11 of them and you're just trying to find the 12th. It's especially bad when there's a timer on those sometimes. You're mm. trying to find, oh, here's the guy and you got to fight him, but you got to get through this annoying thing and it resets it. And you're just like, are you kidding me? There's And it, they force these things on your throat. If they were optional, I wouldn't have minded at all, but you have to do a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And it just every time I saw Lakutu appear, I was like, oh no, I have to go to another toad hunt. The story is bad, which seems ludicrous to say about a Mario game, except a lot of these have had really entertaining stories that work. Well, they're funny. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. They're comedic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This one, there are jokes worth laughing at in it, mm-hmm. but more often than not, they would seed something and then just never do anything with it. You'd have this, mm-hmm. you know, the two Bowsers are plotting against each other. You've got mere universe characters, and they they set that up, but then they never do anything. The princesses talking about what it's like to get kidnapped all the time and sitting there in their cell going back. Yeah. And you're like, okay, something's going to – nope, nothing ever comes of yeah, it. And it's just lost potential for humor after lost potential for humor. Instead, it's just head toward the castle. Oh, here's a wall. Sometimes a literal wall. Knock that wall down, another wall. You climbed mm-hmm. up a cliff. Oh, you fell down a cliff. You mm-hmm. said – and, you just, and when you finally get to the castle, two-thirds of the way through the game, yeah. takes you back to Peach. And you're like, okay, here comes the turn. And they're like, nope, go back to Bowser's castle. Yeah, like, that's too bad. So I always feel, too, like the um, like Paper Mar- uh, excuse me, Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga kind of set this awesome template that originated in Super Mario RPG. You know, mm-hmm. the, the sort of real-time action elements in a turn-based combat sort of environment. And I really like that about it. But I think one of the most forgettable things that people – in my opinion, don't bring up enough is that even in Super Mario RPG, the the platforming that they set the overworld in yeah. is just very forgettable platforming. It feels like fan service because Mario is a platforming series, mm-hmm. and I, I'm not saying I want like Mario two, Mario three level like quality platforming, but I do feel like going from point A to point B in some of these games can just feel like not uh, slightly underwhelming or just very by the numbers like there isn't well, something because, like that stands out in that space well, it's because the mario games are such technical platformers right They're i mean it really is yeah. down to the millimeter yeah. sometimes whether you're going to make a jump or get a, a power up and obviously in the in the rpg world you 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 don't want that kind of trial and error gameplay. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, they did it's minimize that though. in this yeah. one. Thank goodness. There yeah. are sections where it was irritating, mm-hmm. but not as many as I'm used to. You did raise a great point the other day, though, uh, when you were talking about the importance of guest characters in these RPGs. Well, yeah, yeah, and just that in in it feels like in a lot of Mario and Luigi sort of, or in RPGs, just in RPGs in general, one of the most interesting things are the arcs that characters go through. Yeah. Right? You have, you know, you you can argue whether or not. Final Fantasy 7 is a great RPG or not or think of other classic Final Fantasies but you have heroes who go through different stages mm-hmm. as they play the game not just in terms of their power level and how strong they become but also as characters as text as scenarios right, as right. they overcome obstacles and I feel sometimes I worry with, with specifically with anything Mario and Luigi that's trying to tell a story that these are just very one note characters that don't have arcs and, and changes and and you know wink you know knowing sort of moments where oh I learned something new. Um, yeah, but in the you know in both I feel like they're both templates. Th- true, but yeah. they kind of you know they're 
they're little empty, right? There's no depth to the emotion or anything. And but but you also don't want that. I always thought like some of the storylines, like think of like Count Black, like weird yeah. weird villains like that, or the the entire Mario as a wrestler storyline. Like it has these kind of cute little side stories, and some of that's really that entertaining. Work really yeah, well. absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying I want a, a super serious, dry, like emotional, right. <laughs> you know, Mario and Luigi RPG. I think that would also be kind of a drag. But I do but feel like it does limit. Divorce. Yeah, I, I just think it does limit to some degree what they can do but it also frees them up to try like really interesting exactly yeah i I want to piggyback on that uh i don't expect martin luigi to be deep characters but you correctly pointed out that that usually the villains or the guest characters are the ones who undergo those changes yeah yeah, yeah, we have those and you only have to have a little of that often for comedic effect not necessarily too much dramatic effect but you mentioned yeah or count black you mentioned Mm -hmm. him earlier um you have characters who do change and learn things and grow. They're just not the Mario and Luigi characters. And I'm great with that. I don't want Mario and Luigi to have profound political and, <laughs> and, and uh, implications. Imagine or, one's or, a Democrat and one's a Republican. Yeah. And, like and they, <laughs> or, or they keep talking about Italy's role in the war. I don't care about the machinations of the Mushroom <laughs> yeah. Kingdom. I just want something to hook onto there. And because this game just used mirror versions of characters, um, yeah. you didn't get any of that. There were yeah. no significant guests. There were no new villains. And they didn't play off that mirror thing enough. There was so much well, great Bowser's inside story was, was kind of a fun chapter just because you're inside Bowser's head and you're you're kind of reacting, helping him get like super strength. Like they kind of tied what's happening inside of him to what's happening outside in the real world. And that was a really yeah. clever, smart joke. I feel yeah. like Dream Team wanted to go for that. And, th- and that was one that personally let me down. I, I haven't played enough Paper, Mar- Paper Jam to... to, to form a final opinion i will agree with jared that uh, you know there were like two toad hunts early on where i'm just like man i don't <laughs> I, I, by the second one i was just like i don't know about this uh this this is a bad sign to me mm-hmm. um just to see this repeat so early on uh but um yeah I, I just i feel like they're able to sort of tell like really fun stories within some of these characters especially in that game and i feel like this series has has sort of struggled to find that ever since. Yeah, it's just it's just not clever. Uh, yeah. So your enthusiasm is muted. Are there people who would enjoy the game? Uh, oh, of course there are people that would enjoy the game. Absolutely. I mean, there, yeah. uh, there, are, there are people, out there, if, you're, if you don't mind wading through a lot of really tedious filler, and that's what it felt like, frankly, yeah. filler, and if you don't mind that the zones are kind of repetitive, and if you, you know, if you, all that stuff added up to not fun for me, if you can just spend all your time going through battles and like that mechanic, you're gonna have a good time because that's the one thing it nails. The problem is the game works really hard to kind of keep you from doing that a lot of the time. Yeah. yeah. No, when you're well, talking about it seems about like the... it's good for kids. Like if I had, right. uh, you know, Jose Jr. and I'd be like, hey, you want uh, your first RPG? <laughs> He's still very tall. You're old enough, uh, even though you look like you're 13. Uh, here you go. And uh, you know, I, I think I would definitely go for something like this. But I think. Uh, at least hearing from a series fan uh, like Jared, who feels you know underwhelmed by some of it, yeah. again, like I think he hits it on the head too because some of the jokes hit really well. Um, when paper, when little the little paper Mario sprite shows up, there's a hilarious joke between him and Luigi that I thought was was really good. And I don't know, I, I feel like I shouldn't spoil it, but I thought, ah, this is what I'm looking forward to, like this kind of humor. And I don't know, I, I haven't gotten further past there's that point. There's about a half a dozen of those scattered yeah. around the game, and mm-hmm. that was it. The rest yeah. kind of fell flat, and I was a half a dozen. Maybe a dozen. I okay. mean, but over 30 hours, that's not enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, not enough charm for me. Right. Totally. Well, I'm still I'm still going to check it out just, you know, to see. Same. I, yeah. I love the concept of crossing over these two universes. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, I love the, you know, we talked about the last Lego game before, how you had Batman from one world interacting with Batman from another uh, world, right? And, like, I love that kind of conflict. It's oh, too, I wanted them to do more with too it. Too bad they didn't do that much with it. They but, don't, you know. they owe you almost nothing with it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the sad thing. And, like, Leighton Phoenix, right? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm a sucker for oh, that. Oh, yeah, you really like that. I remember. You, I were, like that you were totally Though, into that. That game is also formulaic, right? Like, you do the hidden object search stuff yeah. for coins. It's entirely optional, though, right? Yeah, and yeah. so exactly. you're like, oh, i got to find three coins again. Like, if you had to do this every time, it'd probably be a pain. I'm just a hoarder for that stuff. But <laughs> anyway, uh, moving on then. It has been a week of more. Oh, uh, should I talk about Hyrule Warriors Legends very quickly? Yeah, I what do guess. you guess? Yeah, so you play uh, it? yeah, it's out in Japan. Oh, um, nice. So it came out. Uh, so the 3DS this week. Hyrule Warriors. Yes, and there's a lot of uh, <laughs> there's a lot of talk about this one, and rightly so. So I'm playing on a new 3DS, a smaller model. Um, if you're unaware, Hyrule Warriors Legends is a port of Hyrule Warriors from Wii U for your 3DS. Um, and apparently, if you own the older model, you're you're in for even worse news. But Ooh. running on uh, running on new 3ds, I I admire that it runs at the clip that it manages to oh. achieve. All right, Mr. Um, Caveat. Well, well, I mean, because when I'm playing it, like this is this is a, a repetitive style action game where yep. you're kind of mashing buttons and putting in combos mm-hmm. and, and wiping out enemies. And I feel like for the most part, everything sounds the way it should, and everything for the most part, runs the way it should, as long as the 3D slider isn't up. I felt like every time I, I would crank that thing up, and 3D only works, by the way, on the new 3DS model. If you had the older model, oh, interesting. that's something you don't get. Because of the performance, right? Like, yeah. people should no. know when you render 3D, you have to render the screen twice, effectively, yeah. right? Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it starts to chug, but then more, more noticeably, a lot of uh, effects are very dialed down mm-hmm. um, to the point that in some cases, they look really bad. Uh, oh I'll give you I'll give you two different examples. So when you're fighting out in the field and you use uh, your your sort of your special attack, mm-hmm. um, for example, I was just playing a stage where Link was using the wand, and if you're using the wand, this big fire dragon comes out. Um, they they definitely had to dial that down because there's no way maybe they could have pulled that off on 3ds either with the time they had or just in terms of what they planned for this so game. So what happens? It was fine. Like that one works okay. That one looks but good. you see enemies sort of pop in after the fact. Like yeah, all of a sudden, there's like a battalion to your right that you never yeah. saw. But the way Dynasty Warriors games work, that's not always a bad thing, especially mm-hmm. if you're playing on normal. Nothing really tries to hit you. Mm-hmm. When the Dongo shows up mm-hmm. in the Wii U version, do you remember that? Yes. He just crashes down, through a wall. Him, yeah. Yeah. But he crashes through a yeah. castle wall, and it's like, oh, boss fight time. Yeah. They go for the same entrance, <laughs> but when the wall is there. And then the wall disappears, and oh. he comes through it. <laughs> it hurts to look at some of that stuff, even though, again, when it, when it's actually in play, it's not that bad. Yeah. Um, Do you think they'll tighten that up a little bit for the U.S. release? Like I, sometimes we get some light improvements. There's three months. Yeah. Who, kno- who knows? That's... I mean, it comes out, I believe, in March for us. Oh, yeah. and we misspoke last uh, last show. We said Star Fox Zero was a March game. It's an April game. Yeah. Uh, correction. Yeah. April 22nd, I think, or something like that. But anyway, um, yeah, I this, this is a weird example of them going for something that, okay, because of 3DS's install base and since Musou games are, are hot stuff in Japan, yep. you would think this is a no-brainer for Japan. Right. I'm not sure this is the no-brainer they thought it would be from a technical perspective, mm, yeah. and I'm not sure this is a no-brainer for the West in general. Although, 
Hyrule Warriors may have done all right in can, the end. Can you see what's going on, Jose? That's a, outside of the technical issues you're talking about. Oh, I've yeah. wondered about the small screen with, yeah. with the how map busy display, those games right? are. Yeah, you no, really you well? can. Yeah. And, it's, That's nice. and its best feature is that you can switch between characters and they actually rework some of the campaign stages so that the character, so you know how Dynasty Warriors unfolds, where there's like different positions of interest right. and different points of interest where you want to go you capture that base. Zones. Yeah, yeah, take over that base. Like there's this special enemy over there and he's wiping out this troop. You have to, you sort of respond to everything that's happening in a battle. Yeah. Unlike any other Dynasty Warrior game, I like that I'm able to switch to this other character who just happens to be in the vicinity. And I'll be like, all right, well, it's time for Sheik to uh, to open up a can and take out this mm -hmm. whole section. And that's what it. That's when I feel like it, it's working at its best. And I kind of wish the Wii U version supported this idea because mm -hmm. it probably could run it at a much more efficient level, mm -hmm. um, at least everything else that's going on. The Switch itself is super quick on new 3DS. I haven't tried it on the old model, uh, so I'm not 100% sure it is as responsive. Okay. But the action works fine on a smaller Great. screen. Great. Uh, it's just, yeah, I don't know if it's the 3DS's resolution being at 240p, I think is what it, it sort of maxes out at, mm -hmm. or just the limitation. It's kind of like when they put Metal Gear Solid 3 on... 3DS that you just saw like, ugh, this, this yeah, doesn't you, work that well. And Xenoblade was the other example. Chronicles, which is a, Wii, a new 3DS exclusive, uh, just looked really messy. But it's in, in the case of Xenoblade, it's less of an action title, right? And yeah, so it's more of the after, textures and stuff. When you, when you have a comparison or you first boot it up, you'll notice. But as you keep playing and you get you know, engulfed in this game, you start to not see the issues. And like, you know, we talked uh, in... Uh, I don't know about previous, not see. I think we, it's forgive. We talked about like games like the, the Witcher, right? On console, yeah. the Witcher has issues too. Mm -hmm. But it's it's such a great, massive it adventure that when you get the occasional slowdown, you just kind of ignore it, right? Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't mm -hmm. impact your enjoyment that much. No. Um, yeah. And I feel the same way with, with RPG, RPG genre games. But for action games, I like it to be smooth. Yeah. yeah. And for yeah. the most part, it, it performs well. Uh, but, man, they dialed it down. Right. Um, yeah, you, we'll, we'll talk more about it in the future. Uh, it's we'll time see if to they fix it up. Whew, I'm not. I'm not even going to try to acknowledge or say something to that. I mean, you never know. I would say it's probably not, but who knows? All right, so let's move forward. Then it was another big week for uh, two letters that everyone loves to get excited about. A pair. Uh, uh, NX, NX rumors. Oh, NX, NX rumors. Yeah. All the NX rumors. Oh my mm -hmm. God! It makes everything. Uh, so I think rumors in this case is is speculation. So you're saying speculation? Yeah, I thought okay. I thought so some of this stuff really read like. So let's start with the first one. Okay, okay. Uh, so uh, good uh, friend of the show, a reporter for the Wall Street Journal, tweeted uh, Takashi Mochizuki tweeted uh, basically an, a report that was released by. Uh, this is Macquire Equities, yep. I believe mm -hmm. is the name of the... Yeah, Macquire Capital Securities in Japan, which uh, also uh, unknowing friend of the show, uh, Gibbo Game, uh, <laughs> uh, who, who works for them, um, mm -hmm. basically compiled this report. And he speculated and said in the report that the NX may work with smartphones, PCs, and even rival consoles such as a PlayStation 4. Now, this lines up with a patent that came out uh, a couple of... I want to say a couple months ago, mm -hmm. um, this sort of hinted at shared processing, yeah. a shared processing environment where when a device enters the room with some of this other stuff, it is somehow beefed up. Uh, yeah. Nintendo took out this patent, apparently, and some folks caught it, set off more wave after wave of speculation. Yeah. Um, and folks 
of course, said, what, what is the oh, meaning of this? you sound like this? Obama yeah. today. Yeah. Uh, folks. Yeah, folks said, <laughs> what, is, what is the meaning uh, of this? So this, uh, this is very, uh, specifically the PC, smartphone, PS4 mm-hmm. line of this uh, seems to be. Well, I think that's, there's one word in there that sounds a little bit less likely to me. PlayStation like Nintendo 4? Has talked about, and like the future being about the, this kind of connection, right? Like there'll mm-hmm. be a centralized Nintendo account, like your identity, and they want to fix kind of that that federation or, you know, segmentation of their account system, which, yeah. which plagued us on the 3DS and mm-hmm. the Wii U, right? So I buy PC. I buy mobile and that they're bridging these, these um, consoles. The PS4 in there, I do not buy. That It just sounds like such a stretch. Mm-hmm. That oh, same. a company that says, oh, we absolutely believe in hardware and a console future and we're not going to well, go and third party and then to say well, this yeah. device ties in with the PS4 and there, there are more rumors about that. Why? That sounds yeah, like we're, a we're getting to those. Hang on. Yeah, so right. why would this be good for Nintendo? Why? Why would this Tell be good for Sony? You also make the Vita. Yeah, still, they're like, know. why would this be a good idea? Like, yeah. I, it doesn't make sense. I, I Unless think that, there's a JV coming between Sony and Nintendo, which you just never know, right? Like, the, the industry constantly is reshaped by new partnerships and, mm-hmm. you know, certainly we have a Minecraft game on the Nintendo console, which is now a Microsoft own franchise mm-hmm. yeah. but that sounds weird so the the exact wording from the report we think recent patent filing shared processing and portable controller have negatively impacted the share price as investors assume the NX is more favored over smartphone games the shared processing patent implied if used for the NX that's in parentheses the device could work with rival consoles slash smartphones hence we believe smartphone games uh, in parentheses some of the uh, some of the five by March 2017 and parentheses, will work with the NX and actually help to drive sales of both. It's possible the NX worked with PS4, PCs, and will be a major change for Nintendo and be a positive. It's I don't possible think so. that it's waterproof and I can shower yeah, with it's it. Possible. <laughs> it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's possible that yeah. it makes toast and is uh, an awesome thing to have at the at the breakfast table. The smartphone yeah. thing to me sounds like a likely direction, right? Well, yeah, because everything sort of seems to, at least these days, have some sort of a... Well, and you're talking about a company that is very much considering entering the app game. Very recently talked about Nintendo account and launched it in Japan and is trying to find ways to you know, utilize the, the, mm-hmm. your smartphone as a way to advertise and talk about things that are coming up yep. um, for them. Uh, outside of you know regular social channels, yeah. Look, I, I think speculation is fun, and obviously, you know when you're when you're talking to investors, you have to comb through as an analyst, you have to comb through every nugget of information, and then you have to make a judgment call, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, also outline all the possibilities. And that's what he's doing. And that's this exactly is uh, analyst this is. David Gibson. Yeah. I, regr- I regret for so not I just, mentioning his name. And and I'm I'm sure he doesn't want people to walk away and say like he just told the world the NX works with a PS4, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's highlighting all the different possibilities of where this could be going for people who are interested in investing mm-hmm. yep. or you know selling their shares yeah but company. that that whole line about it being a positive to me is just like no yeah. I, I just don't see that uh, at all Let, let's then comb to another uh, <laughs> another story that popped up this week so a market research company launched a survey yep. yeah. that leaked and this survey uh, which okay so I actually uh, before coming back to IGN did a, a small stint uh, with a market research firm mm-hmm. um, and basically this is uh, I mean I can't go into specifics but I can say that companies to reach out to market research firm to basically uh, get a sample of data from 
a certain age group, a certain buyer, a certain demographic. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it is very much a, the, a percentile that Segmentation for. studies, right? Yeah, you're that's trying what to this get, is. Yeah, you're trying to get feedback across all these different Absolutely. So this particular survey uh, brought up Nintendo NX and people jumped to the conclusion is sharing actual information. Which do we know that Nintendo commissioned it? Yeah. Do yeah. we know Nintendo commissioned it, and is it actual information? I think no to the second one. The first one, who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but here are the bullet points as they mm-hmm. were outlined. The exclusive game franchises featuring Mario, Zelda, Donkey Kong, and more. That's a given. Mm-hmm. Connect with other Nintendo players around the world via Nintendo Network. That's a given. What? Gameplay flows between Nintendo NX console and Nintendo NX handheld device. That is a thing that we have all been talking about for a Seems while. very likely. Yeah. yeah. Well, you can also just put Wii U in there, and it still mm. is true. Oh. The Wii U is a console and a handheld device. You just can't leave the house with it. <laughs> Earn and share gaming achievements, triumphs, and defeats with your fr- gaming friends. Uh, excuse me, and the Nintendo gaming community. Uh, Meverse, except yep. minus achievements. Well, it's a game by game yeah. basis. I mean, Hyrule Warriors had it. I guarantee you, if you did market research Surf. and asked, "Do you like achievements?" Yeah. Players would say yes. Yeah. So shame. maybe Nintendo yeah. would go down that route, maybe. right? Surf the web or make video calls on your TV. Wii U does that. Yep. Uh, supports 4K 60 frames per second video streaming. Uh, that's new. Gameplay graphics at 900p 60 frames per second. So this was the thing that set off uh, just a flood of comments. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what's in the box? Nintendo NX console, sensor bar, game controller, HDMI cable. So let's focus on the top part. Who cares about the sensor bar right now? Um, <laughs> 900p 60 frames per second mm-hmm. sets off a wave of what, why, it's not 1080. I don't buy. This is crazy. And people kind of taking this almost as gospel Mm -hmm. when, in fact, who the knows (laughs) where it came from. Nice. Nice. You, like, bleep yourself. Yeah, I do. But, but, um, well, first of all, why would that be in consumer consumer research? Because the audience does not understand what that means. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, who knows what 900p um, gameplay is other than... You know, people who really, really follow the world of console gaming and know the controversy between, like, the you know, 1080p debate between. But the you consoles. can argue those kids yeah. were some of the loudest when the last it, console generation kicked off, okay, and could, Sony it, was saying, "Hey, we do this. We have this much RAM. We're we're a technically stronger machine." Yeah, but then, then secondly, those are your those the, are your the resolution and the frame rate you get out of a console. We're assuming. I mean, look, the yeah. the max resolution is probably going to be 1080. ADP, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the PlayStation 4 will do 4K video streaming, you know, eventually, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's not going to do 4K for gameplay. That's just how these machines are built. So the NX is probably going to, if it connects to a TV, support 1080p, we hope, right? <laughs> but, I mean, if this is a survey of early adopters, maybe they're just throwing the term out there to see what the reaction is. It, I mean, it's, if, that, it's if that's just, the kind of market research they're doing, maybe they want to know what happens well, if we well, put 900p this, on it. What this, you know, I mean, if this was real, what this would mean is that the device is centered around a handheld screen that has up to a 900p display. Which would be uh, uh, an interesting and, achievement because when you look at Vita or 3DS, neither one was HD. Yeah. Your, your gamepad right now is 480p. That's right. If so you care. When you connect this to a TV, yeah. it'll go up to 900p. For a handheld, that is an achievement. Because yeah, that did not. That doesn't happen with the Wii U screen. That doesn't no. happen when you put your Vita games. You do on have TV, very high right? resolution screens on your mobile device. Yeah, yep. 
And uh, so, this has been chopped up every which way. I got people tweeting me going, maybe it's just for the mobile device. Well, maybe it's the wrong But, but then if it's, a, like if it's a me. console, obviously a statement like that is just, and if it's a normal console, then it's such a weird statement because the resolution and the frame rate really depend on the game. Well, we're talking mm-hmm. about Nintendo who never wants to talk about tech specs, who right. never, who very rarely wants to try and tackle that subject on any front, more specifically between the last two generations of their machines because the last two generations of their machines weren't trying to compete. Yeah. I to just, an extent. I the, just feel like that it's such a that is a piece of information that you wouldn't put out there because yeah. 900p is never a positive and the audience will not if it's the case that it's a handheld connecting to a TV mm-hmm. and running a 900p the audience will never see that as a positive without additional information. Mm-hmm. Then you would say HD. Yeah. Maybe right? that's what the so survey was trying to determine. That's what the reaction would be. Uh, if it's real. I mean, I don't it, buy it. Be, then yeah. it would have asked HD, which is a term everyone understands, yeah. even mm-hmm. though it can mean You're, so many different things. Yeah, that's yeah. Possible. Unless the demographic for this survey was super hardcore gamer yeah. who plays 30 hours of whatever game a week. Like, this is how these segmentation studies happen. They turn to a company and say, hey, find me dudes between 18 and, and 35 yeah. who. Spend, who have bought this many games in the past year, who have uh, are spending this much time on a console, who have played this many hours of Call of Duty, like it gets really, really granular. Now, I'm not trying to say this is valid. I'm just trying to say this is how these things work. But then yeah. it would be clearer. It would tell you what it is. No, well, not at this level. It no? Wouldn't. no, no. This uh, is the actual survey itself. Right. They're trying to get information. If this is if this is part of the survey here, and they're trying to figure out how many of these are going to sell, say, the first year to the kind of people that buy things as early adopters, to the hardcore gamers, to the people that they think they might have lost yeah, uh, what, the last generation. What, this is the kind of question that they're going to want to know before they decide how to market the thing. Yeah, yeah. And fair enough. I mean, you could be asking those questions to inform your marketing decisions. Should you go out and say, hey, 900p, never never before done on a TV screen with a handheld device, right? Like, to, to learn whether people think that's a good way to market it. That would make sense to me. It's just... It's just Ah, something smells fishy about this guy. No, like, I, I and by the way, agree. Like, just yeah. because a survey asks questions about a certain product doesn't mean that it is in any way tied to the product. Last week, you know, we talked. Uh, our legal guys, our legal team, was trying to find out who is running a survey in the name of IGN Entertainment. Uh, full disclosure: it's a company I run. Um, asking questions about the experience on IGN, yeah, and like. It's not us. It yeah. wasn't us. Like yeah. somebody is using our name, whether it's a phishing scheme or it's a competitor trying to learn something about you, right? And so that's just so you know, that's how surveys can come about. Yeah, that makes sense. So, uh, our recommendation, take it easy. Like, take a step back. Anything that comes up about NX is going to get you riled up. And you know what? At the end of the day, you just don't know. Take it with a giant block of yeah. Dead Sea yeah. pink salt. <laughs> but the longer this silence from Nintendo continues, it's unfortunate, but the longer this is going to happen. Um, we talked about that last week. Yeah, but you they know. don't care. I mean, like, they, don't. They, they, they care if you... If you guess what it is and you go, oh, man, that's, the, you know, do not want. But if there are 100 theories, um, that's fine. That you want makes one more theory? More confident. Oh, we got you time got for one, one more? Right. We got right. one, one more. more. <sighs> I'm so tired of NX and it's already 20. <laughs> 2016 just started and I'm done. Yeah. 
I just call me back when it works. Uh, in 2016, uh, analysts are saying that the portable side of Nintendo NX will come in 2016, and the console doohickey will come in 2017. Mm-hmm. I think doohickey is a good word. Uh, this yeah, also came from Require Capital Securities. Again, this this is uh, from uh, David Gibson's group. Uh, again, he's an analyst. He gets paid to do this. Um, it's part of his job. But they speculate in that same report that the portable will cost two hundred dollars mm-hmm. which i think is again speculation Damn, it, it is what it is yeah it's what it is so but, just components trying to figure it out but this idea of the portable and the console sharing some sort of an environment but coming out at different times that's something that i have felt kind of strongly about over time where i feel like some whatever this this platform is it, it's going to incorporate multiple devices like you that's think fine so? I, I think it, it can, or it, it's part of the plan. Like it, this is why people have been speculating like crazy over uniting handheld and and and, and uh, home console teams. Uh, looking closely at how Apple gets a game right. to sort of scale between multiple devices. Although you can argue Apple games don't scale to your TV, and when they do, they still look a little a little strange depending on the game. But, but if you, the, oh, go ahead. No, but if it's a split device, and you know we haven't talked about our opinions of what NX is going to be in like well, a year, right? We yeah. talked. About we it way about back when year. on NBC, yeah. mm-hmm. my my thought and hope was, hey, maybe they'll finally nail the concept of a device that can be played with a TV and on the go, like truly you can take it with mm-hmm. you, um, which isn't like the Vita, which was console gaming on the go, mm-hmm. and like you know, like something that is more grounded that actually gives you experiences that are worth playing on the go and mm-hmm. are designed for on the go, like you know, a lot of iPhone games are as well. Mm-hmm. It, it just. This sound, this would be two devices, mm-hmm. and it would be splitting the market, and like I'm trying to wrap my red head around like if if the Wii U is not doing that well this year, and mm-hmm. like you know the lineup is slowing down. We have a mega hit like Zelda coming, maybe hopefully some more games like a new Pikmin. But like let's say the Wii U is kind of tapering out. Is the 3DS tapering out and worth risking replacing it with a new handheld by the end of the year? It has two, been five years. It, it has, yeah, two thoughts on that. First, I mean, they Nintendo has never hesitated to kill something in favor of something new. Uh, it's true. They like usually it's, say they're adding another pillar, right? Pillar, right? Well, which then, is what yeah, they're yeah, doing but here. The, which pillar, is exactly, the other pillow goes missing. Which is exactly yeah. the messaging they're yeah. giving us right now. But they killed the Game Boy Advance with an axe the moment it was clear the DS had taken off. I mean, yeah. it was it, that third pillar became a second pillar in about two weeks. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm not so worried about the messaging on that. I think that's one part of it. They're not going to hesitate if, if they move over in that. The second is that I like what Jose said about Apple. Maybe this has something to do with trying to create a mentality that you and your family or you and your children, knowing Nintendo, live in a Nintendo household. This is a place where there are independent devices that are also interdependent, that owning them by themselves is absolutely worth the expense and the trouble, but you tend to buy other ones because they all play nice together. Your Nintendo software application product on your cell phone works really nicely with that thing you've got under your TV, which works really nicely with that cool dedicated handheld, which also works really nicely with some fourth thing they invent later on, just like... Frankly, friends of mine sit in their house with their Apple phones and their iPads and their Apple TVs and their you know and you get on the list of things that people with that kind of brand loyalty go and grab. Maybe they're going for 
that kind of weird diversification. I, I don't know if it works or not, but I think it's an interesting it's, idea. It is. I mean, like there, there's a lot in here. Like if this was if this was true, and like you know, people have guessed at this, saying like it's different device, it's two devices, one device, it's a console, it's a handheld, right? But if this was true, that it could be like distributed com- computing, right? Like where you have a machine that acts a certain way yeah, when you're on the yeah, go, yeah. but when you're at home, it leverages another. And that's where that patent comes yeah. into play. If it's part of this grand scheme or not, I mean, we're gonna sit here and throw every theory in the book at it because we don't know and yeah. guess what you don't know so I, I, I find this so tiring like we are we are in a situation where because the minute they clarity. finally I love, oh, I love clarity I love just I love you show me what it is a. we respond and talk and and spec and then give criticism based on something physical not something so abstract like, like this stuff you're not well, I could be like a dreamer us. in some cases but this is not one of them look it's yeah. all to me it's all interesting talk and I know some of our fans get frustrated like why do you keep talking about the speculation and it's like well first of all that's all we got right mm-hmm. It is a really exciting topic. I mean, yeah. I'm excited to hear more about this. Same, yeah. It is, if, if Nintendo is really going to create a powerful handheld that also connects with the home, that's a really interesting move after seeing what happened with the Vita. And, like, I, I, I mean, I, I like my Vita. I think it's mm-hmm. a really cool device. There's some really good games on it. But ultimately, it was for a niche audience that wanted to play console games on the Well, and ultimately, but, Sony kind of said, hey, yeah. let's just throw everything towards PS4 to yeah. make that successful. Yeah, and I feel like... You know, I think people have responded to that device saying, like, well, I really don't want to play a full-fledged Uncharted on the go, yep. but there are certain games that I really like taking with me and playing. But it's it's really interesting. Like, if Nintendo is going down that route, it sounds like Sony is packing up and basically saying, here's a handheld market Nintendo, right? Yeah. Like, it's... Kind well, of what's, smart well, too, what's to lead left into of it, it right? after this thing yeah. cleaned up on everyone? This thing you were holding up uh, for the audio it's an listeners, iPhone. an iPhone. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. Um, but and you know, not that 50 million 3ds is is you know something to sneeze at. That's an mm-hmm. achievement. Um, but it, it's a much more crowded space these days. It, and if yes, you're going to get developer dollars, if you're going to get publisher dollars, people who are going to invest and make games for your platform, your platform has to and, ultimately compete with those things. And even yeah. if you're a gamer who says, I don't like the types of game I can, uh, games I can play on, on iPhone, uh, on iPhone. It doesn't matter. Android there devices, are thousands and the, millions of other people who like those the, games. There is, it, it's the inherent advantage of a device already being in your pocket, yeah. right? And so there, there was some question about whether Nintendo would also come up with a another use case like for their next handheld would there be some sort of feature that makes it more like a that makes it more something that you have with you right there in the past we've seen Nintendo partner with hotel chains yep. to put you know Super NES games the into Seattle hotels. Mariners to order food partnering with stuff. car companies yeah. to build in Nintendo games into into displays and minivans yeah. right like there could be something else that we don't know about yeah whatever whatever NX is because what Jose just said about smartphones and how they have pushed into that market uh, Nintendo whatever they do here with NX is going to be an effort to leverage those valuable, powerful properties in a new way that we haven't seen before. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they, they, that's their main strength. They own these ridiculously popular, iconic characters and franchises that you can only get through them, and they're going to try to leverage that in every way possible. I mean, they're yeah. already doing that in theme parks. They've talked about yeah. cartoons now, apparently. When, when but, their know. inherent strength, despite quality of software, which I feel is always high especially when it's first party but yeah. sometimes you get your misses is that portables have always carried them through everything yeah. any storm that was a problem on the home console front was carried by the portable device and by Nintendo's success 
in the portable space. And I don't think that goes away at all. Like at first I, wa- I wondered if mobile became Nintendo's exit point to just put games on this device and then focus their efforts towards home consoles. I wondered if that was going to be the case because this is such a hard thing. An iPhone, the, the Android market, is such a hard thing to compete against mm. for them because there are so many devices out there and so many third parties willing to take a shot on a game because the opportunity is there to make a lot of money from the amount of people who have this thing. Well, um, all of these rumors have one thing in common. There, there is a thought that it, you know, whatever NX is, it's not something that conflicts with a, the no. mobile gaming market. No. It's something that ties it in, right? And yep. like, I, I have no doubts Nintendo will have some huge hits, especially on iOS and especially in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pokemon Go has the potential to yeah. be absolutely massive. You know, Pokemon Company is is behind that one more than Nintendo, but sure. like you know, Mitomo, like some of these games could be really, really huge and could be great marketing opportunities for a device that connects with it and does something bigger in the home. So hmm. um I mean it's really it's it's really interesting. I think mobile in the short term is buying Nintendo some time. Like mm-hmm. where yeah. they could say, you know what, we're gonna make lots of dough this year with mobile games and, and, and push X NX is fully back. going to come yeah. in, in the next year. Yeah, um, or the year after. But I, I think the book but is you know not what would really you know And I hate to say this out loud, but I'm going to say it. You know what would <laughs> really help calm the NX storm? Go ahead. Start talking about <laughs> Zelda. Oh, I see. I <laughs> Zelda Wii U, which oh you put t- like three <laughs> seconds of the same field we've seen before <laughs> in the latest Amiibo commercial for, for Twilight. Twilight Princess HD. Use that power that you have. Miyamoto, you told me you have Zelda footage you've been sitting on. Now's the time. Fire the cannon. Why the reticence on their part on that? We will find out at some point, I'm sure. Um, But... I think, I mean, look, if it's too early, you risk that people get excited now and you can't sustain that excitement, right? Yeah. And yeah. and so I, they keep on showing the same thing. It's the f- beautiful field with the grass swaying and nothing else. That's what we're getting, right? Um, I, I think they want to make a big splash when they have a release date nailed down. They know exactly when it's going to come out. And the only um, reason you don't want to market that game too hard right now is that you have another Zelda remake that has to go out the door first yeah. in March. And Maybe and, after that's out the door, and, we hear something like immediately, just like, hey, here we go. Here's, here's a little more footage. Here's the actual subtitle. Here's the main character and all of his or her glory. I still think that's an open question. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm alone on that one. Uh, <laughs> and whatnot. Well, and there's the thought that could this be a dual release like Twilight Princess was for GameCube and Wii? Now yeah. it's for NX and Wii U. I mean, they keep on they keep on like almost putting the Wii U lo- logo in your face, saying, "Hey, just to make sure you know, this is a Wii U game." <laughs> yeah. They keep on repeating that. Um, that doesn't mean that it can't come to another but it, platform. But to me, but that it says diminish the well, value. But it on me, the, on that the NX, that says right? to me that the NX question is still not really an answer for them yet, yeah. and they're still figuring that out and I think people need to be patient and I get why everyone's excited and heck I'm excited I want to see what the next Nintendo thing is but right now the biggest horse you have is Epona yeah (laughs) and you need to use it (laughs) right is all I'm saying I think that's where they have to go to just push back on some of this stuff and get people excited about something else that's well well put yeah Hate to say it out loud, but that's it. All right, we we I I'm late for a meeting, so I'm gonna get yelled at. I think Jared's late for the same meeting, so Yo-ho. we we got to go. Uh, we, can we use you as, a, as an excuse to get to not get yelled at at the meeting? Be like we were no. there. 
No, I'm going to tell them you were talking about Zelda. Thank you for listening to Nintendo Voice Chat. We are a weekly show on IGN, but we are not the only show on IGN. And in fact, uh, coming up next is a quick interview, uh, or actually a long interview we had, with Sean Velasco of Yacht Club Games. Before I go putting in an outro, that's actually what's coming up next. Uh, I I almost forgot this happened, uh, which is really mean. We've been talking about NX so much, it just slipped my mind. Sean, you may know from uh, Yacht Club Games, they made Shovel Knight. Uh, He came on to talk to us about... Uh, first of all, when he started sort of getting into games, uh, the games that kind of defined his vision for wanting to be a developer, and uh, some other uh, funny stories, including how this whole Amiibo business came about. So if you're interested to hear that, stick around, and we'll be right back. Brian Altano. What's up? And special guest Skyping in today, Sean Velasco of Yacht Club Games. Welcome, Sean, to the show. Hello. Uh, so folks may know Sean or a little game he worked on uh, based on the merchandise we have on the table here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shovel Knight, which is a fantastic game, uh, which is available on Wii U as well as a bunch of other platforms. So we invited Sean to come on the show to not only talk a little bit about Shovel Knight, Amiibo, you know, uh, other plans. But also, uh, Sean, I actually want to kick things off talking a little bit more about uh, you, if you don't mind. Um, so sure. you're a game developer. Uh, you do, you did some work uh, for some other companies before you started and went independent. I guess I want to ask you, what captured your imagination about games? And what made you want to learn how to make video games? Oh, wow. I mean, I, I guess working on games has always just been... Uh, well, I, you know what? That's not true. In the beginning, I wanted to be an animator. Like I wanted to – like I loved like Disney movies as a kid and I wanted to do like Disney style like animation or stories or characters or something like that. Uh, I mean I kind of – I grew up during like the golden age or like the second golden age of Disney animation, right, with like – Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, The Lion King. It's like there was really a string of really like excellent musicals and and uh, and animated things that just like formed the core of my childhood. And at the same time, I was playing games, right? Like Super Mario Brothers and Mega Man and DuckTales and Chippendale Rescue Rangers and all that stuff. And so, I mean, that's I guess that's what I was like immersed in as a kid, and that's just what I what I kind of always wanted to do. Uh, and so then, as I started getting a little bit older, instead of just wanting to be an animator or an artist, I realized, well, there are people that actually like put games together, right? Like someone actually designs the world of the games, or like the progression of how things unlock, or the the bosses and the structure and all that. Mm-hmm. And once I realized that, I mean, that kind of became what I wanted to do. So, I mean, really it was like a passion for, for, uh, yeah, for Disney really early on and then for video games coming up, right? Like when Super Nintendo came out, my, my love for games just got even more pronounced, right? Like these are the kinds of things that I would have to like save up for with my, with like chores or allowance money Mm -hmm. or whatever and get, 
you know, my Super Nintendo with Super Mario World and being excited for A Link to the Past to come out and Super Metroid and just like pouring through Nintendo powers over and over again, looking at that stuff and, and just kind of like being obsessed with it. So sure. I don't know. I guess I guess I've always kind of had that that passion for games. It's just really yeah, I guess it's just fortunate that I got to kind of end up where I have. Yeah, I think there's this sort of inherent magic that came with that era of not watching Twitch streams or reading game reviews or even seeing uh, gameplay videos or anything like that, but just kind of getting this hunch off of just a few tiny pictures in the corner of a magazine that came <laughs> in the mail. Uh, right. And, and, and hoping for the best. Like, it was, it was very easy to, to mow lawns or rake leaves for six months uh, and roll the dice and buy a bad game. Mm, <laughs> so yeah. it was kind of awesome when you ended up with something like Link to the Past or Super Metroid or, or Chip, even Chippendale Rescue Rangers, which you mentioned, one of my, one of my favorite co-op games probably of all time. Uh, yeah, such, yeah, such an awesome game. I, I mean, and you're right, there was so little information I, I mean, I remember I used to call the Nintendo Consumer Service Department yeah. as a kid just like to, to get whatever information I could out of the them. hotline. You'd grill the hotline. I, call, I remember calling him once uh, before. This was for Link to the Past. Right. And and I called him and I said, uh, I don't know, some some distraction question like like when's it coming out, even though I already knew or like, <laughs> like I, I just wanted to talk to someone about it. Right. Yep. And the lady on the other end said, I'm playing it like I'm playing a Link to the Past right now. Wow. Said, no way. No way. Put, and I said, put the phone up. Put the phone up to the TV so I can hear what it sounds like. That's right? awesome. And I, yeah, and I still remember it was the it was the cave soundtrack. Like yeah. boom boom. Like and and I just heard like just a little bit of that and the and kind of like the echoes of Link yep. like walking through the wet uh, like the, his wet footsteps in the yeah puddle. it had and that it that just, water droplet noise yeah it was just <laughs> yeah. so it was just like so insane but that was like the only glimpse uh, I mean the audio wise that I even got of that game until it came out right like That's, back then man. there was no information <clears throat> I think it's weird because it's like nowadays you would think you would hear a story like that and you'd be like well what could you really even get from putting a phone up to a Super Nintendo but the reality was the sound was so much drastically better than what we had on the NES. So even that would have been enough to get you going for six months. You were probably the kid that went into school and you're like, here, here, I'm going to sing it for you now. This is how it is. And everyone's like, you're a liar. What is yeah, your uncle I, work for Nintendo? Yeah. My, yeah, my, I, I was just, I imagine I was the bane of, yep. of everyone from like the uh, EB games or GameStop managers that I would call and ask when, when's Mega Man X coming out? When's it coming out? I would call every week. It's like, I knew when it was coming out. Oh, I or, used to, I used like, to get my – I had two younger brothers. I actually burned out basically every single EB Games and, and Babbage's employee that I used to just get my brothers to call for me because I would call like 50 times in a row like, right. where's Zelda? Where's yeah. Zelda? Where's Zelda? And yeah. they'd be like, stop calling. And I put my brother on the My youngest brother was like four. And he's like, where's yeah. Zelda? And they're like, caller ID didn't exist. Is this uh, Brian's brother? Time. <laughs> yeah, or maybe it did. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good time. So, so, Sean, did it then start with studying animation and then getting into games? Or did you know and then try games early on? Like, just out of curiosity, what school did you go to? Uh, well, I mean, in, in like elementary school and high school, I did like fine art and like mm. creative, creative writing and stuff like that. Kind of like how any, how any student would take things that are in their interest. Mm -hmm. Um, but when it came time to go to college proper, I, I looked around at a few places and this was in like the early two thousands. Right. 
And at that point, like I went to, I, I lived pretty close to Cal Arts, where a lot of Disney animators all come from, right? Like where Tim Burton went, where like many, many great artists have gone. Yeah. And I said, well, what's your game? What is your game stuff like? Or what is your 3D stuff like? And they looked at me like I was from another planet, right? Or it's like, like we do like traditional animation here. Which is yeah. interesting because they have completely switched since then. Like today, right. my understanding is that Cal Arts, they, you have to take 3D. You can still take the traditional 2D hand-drawn stuff, but I've been told that every student is sort of required to take 3D classes because that's where the jobs are, essentially. Right, yeah. I mean, that, that wouldn't surprise me at all. I, I don't know how big their game program is now, but mm-hmm. back then it was definitely not really there. Mm-hmm. Um, also, there's a, there's a program now at USC. Like, there's a really good games program. In fact, we have like, a, like several interns that are USC students and uh, but that kind of stuff, it just was very like fledgling, I think, at the time that I was looking to go to school. And so I ended up at a place in Northern California called Cogswell. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's a I mean, I have a lot of friends that that went to Cogswell and we're mm-hmm. all in the game industry now. I mean, I would I would compare it to I mean, uh, maybe it was kind of it was a little bit like trade school ish. Mm. But I learned so many things that were just extremely relevant to like what I do now from storytelling and storyboarding to animation to things like 2d design color theory and then moving into like game like actual game design classes uh yeah just things in writing project management 2d and 3d Mm. and then of course you could take like sculpture or fine art like if you wanted to be an artist at pixar you could also go to cogswell and get the get the skills you needed to be you know that kind of that kind of person um so so i worked there uh, with a lot of people, and I think I think most college experiences are probably like you get more from you get more from the people that you're that you're going there with ne- yeah. more than necessarily like the like just the straight up studies that you're taking. Yes, and so so yeah, I mean, I, I made a lot of friends there. We worked on games together, like in a game club, and that was the environment where I really learned how to work with other people and kind of make games as a group. I, I would say what I do now is like very very close to what we were all doing as Goonie college students, <laughs> just trying to throw a game together in Flash or whatever to like understand how the game creation process works. And that's, you, oh no, sorry, I was going to say that's kind of an integral part of it, right? Is is not just sort of being a master at one specific slice of what makes a game, but kind of having an understanding or even like even more than an understanding, kind of like a deep knowledge in all of the other parts in it. It's, it's sort of like being in a band and telling the drummer what to do. You need to kind of understand how drums work or how the bass works. Yeah, yep. exactly. Yeah, exactly. But also like being in a band, it's like the drummer probably knows a hell of a lot better than you do. Yeah. Like what the, <laughs> what the best way the, to, to drum the song is, right? Yep. So, yeah, I mean, my my job is like I I do design and I do mechanics and I work with everyone like artists and programmers and other designers. And a big part of it is is collaborating and making sure that everyone feels heard and trusting people to do what they do best. And and also listening to people, including players, when they tell you that your game isn't working or that they're frustrated with it or that they have an issue. Hmm. You know, I, th- I think uh I think people sometimes go into the industry thinking, well, you know, I'm an auteur and I have mm-hmm. this game idea sure, and I'm sure. going to be the, you know, I'm the be all end all and everyone should do my idea. But like, I mean, I think the way that the best games come come around or at least the, the best, most successful games that I've worked on have all been like very deeply, deeply collaborative games where 
I've wanted to strangle the people that I'm working with because they because <laughs> they have an idea that's so different than mine. But you know what? At the end of the day, it's like the right idea. Yes, and that's I, I think learning that is like such a big part of of becoming a becoming a developer or or I mean heck even working like working in a team in any in any career. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. What, what were us? Uh, so I guess I have a two-part question here, and they're sort of semi-unrelated, but sort of are. What were uh, maybe f- maybe five games that that sort of influenced or impacted you the most, if you don't mind me asking? And then, what were those early games like that you were making when you were in college? Like, uh, okay, <laughs> yeah, it'll, <laughs> it'll be fun. Well, okay, as far as the as far as the five games that influenced me, mm-hmm. I would say most of them are the games that influenced Shovel Knight, right? Yeah. Like. Mega Man, like especially Mega Man 2. I didn't have Mega Man, the original, like my friend did. And that was like, that was a big thing. I don't think that they have that anymore. It's like you would go to your friend's house or like you would have a friendship of convenience because like your friend had this game, but you didn't. And so it's like you would you would go to your friend's house to like play all these other games, right? Yeah. So Dude, like, I, I, was, I was friends with a kid on my block for, for two months because he got the Super Nintendo before me. And right, yeah. When I, I feel so bad saying this, but when I got mine, like I dropped him like a bad hat. <laughs> you that just, yeah, is mean. I, whatever, man. Like he, he had a next gen system before me. I had a, you know, this just yeah. how it goes. Whatever. Okay. Yeah, it's like between everyone, you would have all the games, right? Yeah, yeah. You would just make these. Yeah, you just make these friendships of convenience. You had that sort of like book. Yeah, I had that thing. It was the rules of you would lend. You could lend a game to a friend, but you could never lend a lent game to another friend. Which is what that was the the, the big oh, rule. Yeah. Like, so like if right. I if I yeah. gave a game to to, to Sean and Sean gave it to Jose. And I was like, "Where's my game?" And he's like, "Jose's got it, and I got to track you down." Like that was a yeah. that was a huge problem yeah. back you then. You can't do that. Yeah, yeah. you can't do that. Yeah, Otherwise, that. it was an honor system. Oh, that, and you, and you never write your name on somebody else's game. Oh uh, no, that oh, or geez, just getting yeah. your game back and it was in terrible condition. Yeah, those were yep. those are the days where you just look at a kid in the school yard like, "What? Yeah, what'd you do?" Anyway, Sean. Uh, so Mega Man Two. Yeah. Mega Man Two. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. So I would say Mega Man definitely right. Like the platforming, the bosses, like it all just it all just really worked. I guess I I love when things are like in nice categories like that being able to play any boss in any order I think as a kid was really cool Mm. for me because I could see every level in the game without having to start you know it's like in Mario you got to start with world 1-1 every time but in Mega Man you could keep on you could just keep trying different stages until you kind of figured out which way to make it work Um, I would say yeah so Mega Man Super Mario Brothers like Mm. Mario 3 especially like I still I still have memories of like holding that game in my hands on the way home in the backseat of the car waiting to go home and play Mario 3 just like thumbing through the manual because it was like like it's such like white hot excitement like (laughs) such fervor you know Yes. And the, and it just didn't disappoint. It was just such a huge it's, game. It's like, all the wizard's fault. Yeah, yeah, the wizard, right? <laughs> a two-hour commercial they put out. It's <laughs> just a big ad for the Nintendo, yeah. right? Oof. Yeah, it it always bummed me out, or I, it confused me how there were kids in that movie that were experts at that at that game, and even though it wasn't out yet, they were finding warp whistles on their first run through that game. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's BS. There's no way you can <laughs> just, just from intuition, right? Yeah, nice. You know, and uh, and and Jenny from Rilo Kylie, if you know that band, is yeah. the is the lead in that film. Yeah, which is which is awesome. I I love yeah. weird trivia like that. Yeah. Uh, so anyway. Ducktales had to be one of them, right? Or was that sort uh, of just a side tangent of? My friend had Ducktales, and I could never I could never get very far in it. I think it's because you only had three hits, and the levels were really like nonlinear. I couldn't understand kind of how it how it played. I still to this day I still haven't beaten Ducktales. Uh, well, it's 
it's it's structured a lot of the same way that Mega Man is in that like you're you start in front of this big computer and you get to kind of yeah, choose where yeah. you want to go. But it breaks the flow unlike Mega Man where halfway through like the Himalayas you get a key that works in Transylvania that opens up the yeah. Amazon or whatever like so there is actually a pattern in there. Yeah, I'm but. pretty sure I used the guide when I played that game. Like I had something uh, or some kind yeah. of like this is you go from here to there to here to there. I didn't put it together myself. It's definitely very it's it's very non-traditional in terms yeah. of platforming or even the the Capcom NES games, but I you know I the the second I first did that hop with the shovel and shovel knight it was it brought all that kind of stuff back to me yeah, yeah. right yeah definitely I mean that's something that's something that we continually hear yeah is that it's like it's so Ducktales it's so Ducktales although I would say Ze- Zelda two I was gonna say was, yeah, Zelda two that's right yeah much more and and Zelda two like that was a game that I did have uh, and and was like really obsessed with even though I could, it's like I know it has flaws now but just the way that the combat works and the way that the sword fighting That's works right. it just feels so much like you're like especially when you're fighting like an iron knuckle oh yeah it, really, it feels like you're in this knockdown drag out fight with another like with another entity in a way that most games on the NES I feel like couldn't even come close yeah, to s- somebody in the office was actually just playing it on a 3DS yesterday and I had to kind of stand over the shoulder and coach and I'm like well this is how you beat that knight like you have to thrust at the face and then go down low and then he goes up and it's, it's a sword fight like you're, there's yeah. uh, there's shields and there's parrying and stuff like that and Zelda 2 is the one where it's absolutely the probably the most divisive game in the entire franchise in that you either really love it or you really hate it there's very yeah. few people in the, in the middle on that one yeah I'd say so I mean I know it has I know it has issues I know it's difficult to understand what to do I know it doesn't feel very like Zelda right but just the way that that combat was and like kind of the weird dark bizarreness of that world really yeah. drew me in as a kid absolutely right? yeah so it's like th- those games on the NES were like so huge for me but then on the Super Nintendo it's like when it really kind of came full force with the double whammy of of Super Metroid and A Link to the Past, mm-hmm. which are just like the two, I don't know, like probably the two most masterful games that I've played. And I just still love them to this day. So, I mean, all, all those games are like very deeply inspirational, you know, especially the way that Super Metroid's world is all connected together. Oh, yeah. The way, it, the way it tells you, it tells such a such an intricate story using such broad strokes without any like weird expository dialogue or like uh, without any of the of the trappings that you would expect usually from a game that has a story like that right like like shown kind of like how to do it all the opposite way and uh whatever what was the latest one other m yeah. right yeah, again yeah, it's right. like full of expository dialogue and yep. cut scenes and things where things where the what you want to do as the player is so different from what the character does as the character so it's like you don't feel like you're you don't feel like you're samus anymore you feel like you're watching a story about samus and that was just like such a big – I don't know. It was like such a weird missed opportunity. Hmm. Was, uh, was there ever like the idea to ch- sort of move Shovel Knight in a similar direction of that sort of large interconnected world? Because instead you guys went with the the kind of top-down map screens like Super Mario 3. Um, right. To an extent, I guess Zelda 2 had kind of a mix between Super, Super Metroid and Metroid and Mario 3 and that you did have a top-down overworld. But the world was all connected. You could kind of go through it all without kind of loading screens or, or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, we've we've definitely we've talked so much about making um, a Metroidvania style game with a lot with locks and keys, right? Uh, gating a much larger world. Uh, I mean, on a lot of games that I worked on, I've I've wanted to do that, but every time it kind of comes down to the scope of it, and it's like 
when you make a big interconnected world, then you have to really deal with the interconnections in a way that you don't have to when you're making something with levels. Uh, even some, even things like like backtracking, right? Like, how do you make it interesting to backtrack through a place that you've already been? And make the level design so it works kind of from any direction without without making it feel like gimped for the player. That's right. like it's a it's such a huge challenge and it really adds to the scope. That's something that I'd love to tackle someday. I mean, okay. I, I really would love to do yeah, like a, a Metroid style game. Um, that that but, is always that that very difficult balance of having somebody go back through an area and not feel like they're sort of redundantly playing something again or that it f- feels like a copy and paste from the designers rather than letting someone go like I'm empowered to go through this area now because I have a new weapon and I feel badass and it's yeah. way different and well, cooler or now. desperation I mean yeah. there's no feeling worse I feel uh, in some cases where you get lost in these interconnected yeah. worlds and you're like well I've been through this hallway like eight times I don't know like where I should go and I feel like we had a, a bigger to- more tolerance for that maybe like ten years ago and I feel like maybe over time that's kind of eroded as as games have gotten kind of more and more not just skill based but still accessible yeah like i feel like there's still like that that sort of divide um yeah uh, mm-hmm. well sometimes there are things like uh, i don't know i think like bloodborne does a good example of having a large interconnected world but then like they hook you up with warps and they hook you up with ways to go back like there, there will always yeah. be a gate yeah. That lets you loop back around, and then and then this whole area is unlocked. Yes, right, and, and that that's really cool. But yeah, when there's just like too much of a wealth of options, like I know um, a game I really enjoyed was uh, Axiom Verge. Yeah, nice. and, but at, but at times, like maybe I don't know. By the time I fought maybe the second or third boss, I the world was so expansive that I could no longer. I could no longer think about in my brain where where things were or where I needed to go next. Mm. And I mean, sometimes they solve it like in Metroid Zero Mission. They they have like the Chozo statue that it, it points out a waypoint for you, and then it's like just go here, but you don't know exactly how you need to get there. Yeah, yes. and that I mean that's kind of a cool way to do it too. I mean, that's just so. Yeah, there's like it's such a nuanced thing to make a Metroidvania. I mean, it it sounds like a ton of fun though. It sounds like such a fun problem to to work through. I had I had the same issue with Axiom Verge, and part of me was thinking like, is this because I'm untrained in the modern age of playing video games like this? Because I think back in the NES era, when I was you know seven, ten years old, you would have sat me down with that, and I probably would have drawn maps and and written out uh, secrets and and drawn little details and things that would have led me around, or yeah. even like peeled open a Nintendo Power and been like, well, here's a, a map of this section. I don't know if, right. like, have we just gotten... Have we gotten worse at games like that? or lazy. Well, oh. I don't know if it's lazy. I think it's just... I think it's it's strength and conditioning of, like, of genre, right? Like, I don't know if we, if we See, play but, enough games like yeah. that anymore. But I think it's a case-by-case basis. Sorry, Sean. I just... I wanted to point out that I think one of the most remarkable things to me about Bloodborne was that there is not a map in yeah. that game. And I felt like because the world is so hostile, I am always very carefully like stepping forward. And because I'm approaching the world in that way, I learned where everything was. Like one of my favorite areas was the Forbidden Woods mm-hmm. because it's this labyrinth of just like, you know, uh, lots of little corners where items are tucked away. And then you get to a point where there are all these snakes and you like are freaked out. Um, but it really, it, it was weird how at first I was very intimidated by the whole game. But then the more I played it, the more I grew accustomed 
to sort of the language behind how the, their levels work. Sure. And I loved it. For right. Sure. And, yeah. and I think that you, you struck right on it, which is the language of mm-hmm. the game, right? Like that's what Bloodborne is really good at doing. That's what Super Metroid was really good at doing. It's right. like when you're in Brinstar, you hear the Brinstar music playing through yeah. your head. Even now, I'm sure. And you hear or, and you can see the visuals. It's like everything is very green. It's all brambles. You know where you know that you're in Brinstar. And as soon as you go to Norfair or any of the interconnecting areas or Meridia or anything, it's like you know where you are. There are clues, context clues that tell you about where you need to go just based on like the world of of, of Super Metroid, right? Like you mm. see the uh, the four bosses with that weird statue thing and any time that you return to it, one of the uh, one of the jewels, if you destroyed the boss, disappears. And so you know that that's where you need to go when you defeat all the bosses. Like you can just intuit it just from looking at your surroundings and understanding it, right? Yeah, I think Bloodborne is like very much the same thing, right? Like like you said, oh yeah, when you talk about that part, it's it's that part where there's this or that area where there's this. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what a lot of games, are missing, or mm-hmm. or at least these big sprawling games that seem so overwhelming. It's like they don't have a part that for you to latch <laughs> on to. Right? Yeah, it's like, it's like oh yeah, I, because if I remembered, oh yeah, this is that part where there's that where there's that big statue in Axiom Verge, or like this is the part where there's the crashed ship. Then I would at least be able to use that as a beacon and say, well, this is I'm in the area above the crashed ship, or I'm in the area to the right of the crashed ship. You know, so something something to that effect. Sure. So then, tell me about some of these early games you worked on. What do you What do you remember most about them? And please don't tell me they were terrible because I'm sure they weren't. <laughs> uh, what like what what sort of uh, memories do they bring about when you th- when you think about? Them? Uh, well, the first let's see, like the first games that we made at the game club, which was a it, it was it was all just run by students, right? Mm-hmm. We would get together every Friday. I would lug a giant ass like twenty one inch CRT monitor all the way to like all the way to school from my house and and back right because it's like we all had desktops and you know we were college kids so we couldn't afford fancy laptops and at that point I don't even think laptops were would have worked for what we were doing mm-hmm. right. yeah yeah. Yeah. So, yeah so I would lug a big ass computer monitor to school every week and we would work on everything in the game club. And so the first game that we did was a point-and-click adventure in Flash, and it was very much in the style of Monkey Island. You played as an alien trying to collect up his like seven spaceship parts so he could all, so you could get home, and each one had a different wacky situation that you had to resolve. That was kind of a cool project because since the scenes were very discreet and different, we could assign them all to different people, and then we could like cobble it all together, and it would still work. Okay. Like it, it would be really hard to make like Super Metroid in the game club, right? Because like who's in charge of the map? We didn't have like source control or anything like that, so it was yeah. just like it was very like seat of our pants. But the game was the game was cool. It was called Gibrin, G I B R I N. That was the name of the character. I bet you could probably still download it from somewhere. <laughs> uh, Gibrin. Yeah, and let's see. I've done a space shooter where okay. you would. Uh, we were all obsessed with Ikaruga at the time, and so nice. There was, so we worked on a space shooter um, where you would like create an explosion, 
and then if another ship flew into that explosion, then it would chain it, so it would be like, do, 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 do. but then you could shoot that final explosion to keep it kind of like primed and wait for other ships to go into it. And, and it was, uh, I don't know, it was cool. You would like chain the entire level and try to get it up to like chain level 50, but it was really impossible for regular people to play. Like when, you're, <laughs> like when you're a game developer and, you, and you're working on it every day, then it's like you, get, you guys are all 10 times better at playing the game than any other human would be. Right? I, I, uh, <laughs> I, read, I read that, that, that kind of uh, that theory uh, and philosophy came up a lot when Mario Maker came out and people were sort of just like the, a lot of game designers were kind of going on Twitter and reminding people like, hey, your level that's incredibly hard is probably incredibly easy for you because you've played it a billion times now. Right. I Like I personally, I, I made a level for Jose that I was like, oh, he'll fly through this. Because I got awesome at it. And he that d- is not at all. That was not at all <laughs> what you set out to do. You set out to make me throw a controller across the room, and it worked, right? It, well, it didn't. I, okay. th- the controller's fine, but keep going. But I think that's um, <laughs> that's important, right? For because I, I have a feeling like there's, this is uh, this is the kind of show people will listen to this episode and they'll go, "Oh man!" So becoming a game designer is not a completely intangible, impossible dream. It's something you can do. It's something Sean's been doing for a long time, and I think it's it's kind of a good note to keep. That you have to remember your audience, right? And that you, yeah. you're probably in too deep in making something so kind of intrinsically connected to the way your own brain understands your own design that it's it's hard to kind of bring other people into that. Mm. I know with art a lot and music, you'll hear something, you'll make something, and you'll go like, "This is perfect," and someone else will be like, "I don't understand this at all," and you're like, "You don't get it." <laughs> right? Yeah. And I think that's that's the thing with yeah. games, right? Is like when someone says, "I don't get it," then like it's your. I feel like it's your job as the designer to do something to like make them get it. Yeah. Yes. It, it, right. Like it's not uh, like with Shovel Knight, we weren't satisfied of people just putting it down and saying, "Oh yeah, this is too hard," or "I don't understand how the down thrust works," or. Yeah, I think there's a tendency a lot of times if you're a designer to be like, well, it's like maybe you just should get better at my game or may, like you should just intuit this more better. Or if you didn't, then yep. you shouldn't even play the game. Forget you. Right. But it's like we wanted to make everything like really, really super inclusive. Mm. Uh, and yeah, Mario Maker is like the most instructive game design thing to have come out in like forever because it really gives you a chance to put yourself in the shoes of the designer and and uh and feel all the feel all the weird feelings that come with people playing all of your content right mm-hmm. so yeah i mean if you're i'd say if you were a potential designer mario maker is a great way to kind of get your to get your chops for sure. Yeah, I think I think it gave. And I know it especially gave me a ton of appreciation for for level design and and good level design, mm-hmm. right? And and sort of understanding how things work in themes and there's a rhythm to good level design. Mm-hmm. I think it was um it was really interesting working at IGN when Shovel Knight came into the office. Obviously, we were all really excited about it for a long time. It was I think it was our game of the month the month it came out. Uh, I I actually voted for it for game of the year. It didn't win, which I was up very upset about, like visibly upset about. But um, there we have a lot of younger people at IGN, people that started like they talk about old school gaming and they talk about like God of War two. You know, like right. th- for us, it's Mario and Zelda on the original Nintendo. But for them, um, when Shovel Knight came out, there was that sort of. It was it was a weird position to be in because you guys created this game that totally stood on its own, but also uh, had callbacks that people like me and I know Colin Moriarty at the time, who uh, I believe he reviewed it, yeah, um, it. and loved it. Were were like, okay, I immediately understand how this works. But there were younger people in the office being like, I don't get it. 
So you have to create a game that basically uh, it tickles our nostalgia and plays well and serves serves us well. Like, you know, you and I talked about how we both had some problems with Axiom Verge. I don't mm-hmm. think it hit the same notes uh, as Super Metroid as I wanted it to. But I kind of understood it. But there's people that can come in in 2013 when, or 2014 when Shovel Knight came out and go, I, what is this? You know, they didn't, they didn't sure. grow up with classic games. So there's that challenge of having to make that, that game work for all of those people. And, like, how do, you, how do you even accomplish something like that? Well, I mean, that was something that we really, really worked on while we were developing the game. And something that we were honestly worried about when we put it out. Or even when the Kickstarter went up. We thought, well, mm-hmm. are people going to get this? If, you, mm-hmm. if you're someone who wasn't a kid and grew up playing it, will it still strike you as being good? And I guess what we figured was, well, yeah, I mean, the things that the things that we love about NES games are still the things that we love about NES games today. Right. Yeah. And and so we just tried to take all of that good stuff and keep it in and try to augment and then take the kind of the weirdness or the stuff that made it inaccessible for people or too difficult or too obtuse or whatever and really try to smooth those things out. And when we showed it off, it shows like we went to – we kept going to like packs or like uh, – like E3 and and watching people play the game and that was so helpful to us because we would see kids playing the game that had never played a Mario before and they would still you know like an 8 year old kid with their eyes glued to the screen <laughs> the same way that I was when I was 8 playing you know Mario 3 for the first time and it's like we knew that even though the graphics were uh, way different than they had probably seen before it's yeah. still something that they could enjoy yeah. it's like I think the I think pixel art really helps you to almost to be more creative when you're when you're playing a game, right? It's like you look at Shovel Knight the character and you look at Shovel Knight the illustration that's on the box or Shovel Knight the amiibo and it's like they don't even look nearly the same, right? But it means that Shovel Knight could be like anything to you in in your mind while you're playing it, right? To yeah. some people, Shovel Knight is a, like a cute little knight running around, or to some people, he's like a super badass that's going through shoveling down everyone in his way, right. and, it, and yeah. it lets you have kind of either interpretation instead of being like really gritty or really goofy. It, mm. It's kind of like, yeah, you can you can interpret it how you like and it's it's the same way that the if you look at the original like the marketing and the and the pro, the product that designed behind the original legend of zelda those like beautiful watercolor paintings mm. right of, like link on a mountaintop holding a sword and in this impossibly large mission as a kid on this you know looking at this as an adventure uh i as an adult now i it, i am it's basically indistinguishable in my brain between that and the graphics for the original game i mean obviously i know one of them is pixel art and one of them one of them isn't but shovel knight i think kind of nailed that same sort of aesthetic of being like well here's this kind of painterly and cartoony art style that goes with it and here's the pixelated game but they're one and the same to me even though they look very different and i think part right. of that is because of the way pixel art scales through the years and ages if you look at link to the past versus ocarina of time like link to the past just looks better it's winning and it's yeah. winning right it's the, just the war on it, time, it wins uh, a test of time, time. Yeah. and i think which, what shovel knight succeeded in what, what i appreciated it for was i one of my biggest fears going into shovel knight was that it was going to be this sort of like cover song kind of like reference now that's what i call music of, yeah of like i thought it was going to be not, like not to disparage you sean but no that of course. could be a fear for anything sure like that, right? yeah, because i mean because i mean to be yeah. fair i've played games and like so for example i love guacamelee guacamelee in 2016 is already very dated in a lot of ways because the background is full of memes uh we talked right. on the show too about nintendo's writing in the recent years or the localization has been 
kind of like heavy on internet memes and stuff like that. And I think that ultimately yeah, it's a little co- more contemporary than contemporary, maybe timeless. Yeah. yeah. And I think that like when you make a, a thing that plays very well for that day or that month or that year, it's tougher to go back to. And Shovel Knight, like all of that was kind of squashed for me because I realized the references where it were making were cool nods and they weren't really holding it back because ultimately the game does stand on its own. Well, yeah, mechanically, I, I loved how uh, as you explored different stages i think that you found like new ways to sort of yeah. uh, do platforming uh one of my favorites was um forgive me if i'm getting this wrong but th- there is a level that is themed sort of uh, very dark and graveyard looking and you have to dig a potential platform basically out of the ground you have mm-hmm. to knock it into the air to then right. be able to jump up and bounce yeah. off of it and i remember sean the first time i think we met i yeah. think you showed me that stage yeah an and, early version of it yeah. yeah and and you were telling me look it's not done like i just I, i'm i'm curious to see how you do and what do you think and i had played it and i was like wow that's really cool like i i like that um and i had not played much of of shovel Knight at that time but i was like whoa this is this is a cool idea and it, and it fits into the whole you know this character's weapon is a shovel right. you're digging this thing mm-hmm. out of the ground in order to move it up into a different position so you can then bounce off mm-hmm. of it and i thought that was so so smart at the time and i still think that i think a lot of the uh the the reference stuff in the game was interesting in that I, I appreciate it in the same way like when I go see a Pixar movie mm-hmm. and the, the adults are laughing at one joke and all the kids are laughing at a different joke like right. when the younger when the younger player is in the audience and probably even at all your shows they're playing Shovel Knight and kind of appreciating it for completely different reasons than some of the older people were of being like oh that's a cool reference that's a cool nod I, oh that's that's like the, the town from Zelda 2 or the map from Mario 3 but if you're young you're just like this is cool and fun but the, it found a good way of meeting in the middle and servicing both those audiences which is incredibly difficult to do yeah. well yeah thank you for that what I mean, once again, that was something that we really put a lot of effort into was like the like right in the GDD. It said no one would ever say it's dangerous to go alone. Take this. Mm -hmm. Right. Like no nowhere will there ever be a meme. Nowhere will there be a direct reference to another game. Uh, And like Shovel Knight should exist on its own as if it were another product conceived of in that day as opposed to something that is like based on those things that came before it. Hmm. And so it's like, yeah, we have a world map because a world map is like a cool structure that we could iterate on to make to make something fun. Mm -hmm. The same thing with the mechanics or the way the screen transitions or the ladders or the hit reactions work with all the enemies. It's like we looked at we looked at games that had come out in the past and tried to just take what worked and then fill in the blanks with everything else. Yeah. Got it, but, got it. Yeah, but I mean, th- yeah, thank you for that because that's a, yeah, that was definitely something that we that we struck out to do. It's interesting to hear that you guys sort of outline these rules uh, for the character. I mean, is that something that uh, you had learned before or something that you felt was just very important since this character was technically your future and to a very uh, truthful degree, your baby? Well, I mean... It's. I guess it's easy to look back on now of like, yeah, it was all like, we, and that's when we knew we had the most <laughs> genius idea of all time to mm. make Shovel Knight, right? But yeah. but when when we were making it, then it was very much like, we don't know if it's we don't know if the Kickstarter is going to fund. We don't even know if it's going to work. We don't know if the game is going to be any good. If it does work, you know, we'll try to make it sort of like a Mega Man Zelda two eight bit kind of thing, um, and and we'll just see where it goes from there, you know. Uh, 
yeah, with the with the rules though, it was all very specifically laid out, kind of from the beginning. Of Shovel Knight is not a meme kind of game. It's a it's going to be a lighthearted side-scrolling action adventure. There's going to be eight bosses like Mega Man, and then probably some tower stages like Doctor Wily kind of stuff. If if we're doing a world map, then we should have wandering encounters. So, you know, similar to the ones that are in Mario Three, mm-hmm. but when we once we had the structure of the game, we really had to kind of like apply everything else and see how it worked. But like we kept going back to those core tenets of like, oh yeah, this is getting a little bit too close. Mm-hmm. We don't want to put in, uh, we don't want to put in candles that you whip and hearts drop, right. or or we don't want to put in something. Uh, we we don't want to have a boss that you that you run underneath and then like hit the axe and the bridge falls down, so they fall into the lava, right? Like we wanted to try and create original ideas, but ones that were ones that were in the same spirit of of all the stuff that that we had kind of loved and what had come before. Yeah, but yeah. I, I mean, I'm just happy that we and and it took us longer than we thought we were going to, right? Like we sure. iterated on it for three more months than we than we said we were going to, but. I, uh, I guess overall we're pretty happy with where it landed at the end. Yeah. Well, and then impressively, you you flipped the script and using the same levels and sort of that template, you just, you built the whole game around a different character and and you guys weren't kidding around. Like Plague of Shadows is is no joke in terms of uh, sort of platforming prowess. Like uh, if anything, like I know Brian uh, was talking to me earlier and he was like, man, it, it was tough, but he really enjoyed what he got out of it. Yeah, doing Plague of Shadows was a whole other challenge, mm. right? Because yeah, we said in the stretch goals in our Kickstarter campaign, oh yeah, we'll we'll add in these other campaigns with these other characters, but we didn't plan for it, right? Like we didn't say, okay, well, yeah, and with Plague Knight, he's going to have this whole thing under the village, and Plague Knight's mobility is going to be like this. Like that was never planned for with Shovel Knight at all. Right. Mm. It, it was just like, let's get the game out, and we'll think about the rest later. So then to go back into it and and change it all around, I mean, some things were already decided just from doing that. One thing was that Plague Knight's mobility had to be crazy enough that he could get anywhere that Shovel Knight could without doing a down thrust, right? Because if we gave him a down thrust, then it would just be like too identical to Shovel Knight. So we're like, how can he explode around everywhere? How can the Plague Knight game be like the Plague Knight boss battle where he like mm-hmm. makes vats and throws bombs and blows up dirt and jumps around all crazy and he's like a, like a manic crazy weirdo, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then how can we how can we make that character someone who is sympathetic or that the player is going to enjoy being around for, for a whole new game's worth of content? Mm. And then also, like, how are we going to get it done in time and, and not make and not go too crazy, although I think we did go way too crazy. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was really, really interesting to put the whole thing together. I, I mean, I thought it was a blast. I'd never done, I'd never done a sequel, really, before to something that I'd worked on. Mm-hmm. And so making Plague Knight and just kind of like socketing it all in together, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's like at the end of it, I think it's seamless enough that you almost think like, yeah, that's like maybe they thought of the whole thing like that from the beginning. Yeah. And, and, and that's like, I, that's kind of what we were going for. And I think in, in most ways it went pretty okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I love the Plague Knight campaign. I love Plague Knight and Mona. I love, you know, I love the theme of dancing and kind of the weird, like Tim Burton-y weirdness of their relationship mm-hmm. and like uh, all that. Yeah. So. Yeah. It was, it was this great uh, blend of sort of, uh, familiar and and completely foreign it was kind of like putting your name as zelda in the original legend zelda and playing the second quest where you were like i 
I know where this is and I know how to do this, but this feels totally different. And there's something yeah. like there's something strange, but sort of magical about having a sequel to a game inside a game. You know, and I yeah. know I know this one you guys built separately, but for somebody coming in later, like they probably would have missed that entire road to where it is, and they would just start up Shovel Knight and be like, "Oh, there's a, there's a second quest." Like that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and once we add in Spectre Knight and King Knight quests, it's going to yeah. be like such a weird tapestry of like four games in one. You know, I can't wait till the whole like Shovel Knight project is all just like finished, so we could just like set it there and be yep. like, "Here it is." You know? Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So then uh, I'm curious, you know, just recently, I, I mean, I think as, as soon as uh, just a few weeks ago or a week and a half ago, uh, the Shovel Knight Amiibo came into existence. Yeah. Uh, it was finally available at retail. I'm curious. Uh, I'm still, maybe I'm still told, waiting for mine sure, in the mail, by the way. Uh-oh. uh-oh. No, I ordered it from Amazon a while ago. Yeah, not you, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> not you. <laughs> Sorry. You're good, Sean. Um, I no, paid my I, real money for it. <laughs> I guess, uh, and I'm sure you've had to tell this story before, but when did this conversation start? I mean, who, who approached who here first? Were you aware that it would even be a possibility? Like, tell, tell that story. Um, okay. Well, yeah, just to, just to kind of recap the whole thing. You know, anytime, like, as a, as a developer for Nintendo games, sometimes Nintendo will come to you and say, hey, here's the new thing that we're working on and we want you to make content for it. You know, like when I, when I worked at WayForward, it's not like they came to us with the prototype Wii and said, hey, we want you guys to make a launch game for this, right? Mm-hmm. But I met, you know, that's what happens at, I'm, I'm sure at, at the big companies, they'll give you development hardware early or they'll try to, they'll try to hook you up into their system, mm-hmm. right? And so, as as I'm sure, as all companies do, and sure. so yeah, that that same thing, like it happened with the new 3ds we talked about, and uh, and the amiibo stuff, okay. and so they came in, and they said, yeah, you know, we're we're doing a toys to life thing, or I think it had already been announced and everything, mm. but. Uh, yeah, they just came and talked to us and said, "Here's how Amiibo integration will work. Here's how many, you know, here's how many megabytes of RAM it has, and here's how the structure is, and here's it, you can read, you know, it can read from every game, but you can only have one game stored on it at once. Like, you know, those kind of like rules. And how oh, does this seem like something that would be cool to you? And you, you know, you can work on it if you want, and if you don't, then it's no big deal. It's more just like, hey, here's a warning of what's coming up in the future. Got it, got it. And so, uh, yeah, so that happened with Amiibo." And they said, we're going to be allowing third parties to make Amiibo also. Hmm. And so at that point, we had already had, you know, from the beginning, we wanted Shovel Knight to be like a way crazy merchandise product of the 80s, right? Like Shovel Knight bedsheets and Shovel Knight cereal and Shovel Knight mm-hmm. fruit snacks. And so in that vein, we had... Uh, we, we'd already hooked up with some merchandise and licensing people to make things like Shovel Knight shirts and plushes, you, you know, like the guys, the one you guys have on your desk right now. Yep. Um, so we already knew like kind of manufacturing and like toy people. And the thing with making an Amiibo was that Nintendo would give you the license, but you had to make everything yourself. And so unless you were unless you were a company that already had a lot of hookups with toy companies or or wanted to get that pipeline going then there was kind of no way to to do it. So I think we were in like a pretty fortunate position where we're like dang if we if we play our cards right then we could actually put this thing out and make it happen because we have enough of us enough of a like pipeline to do it. Yeah. 
So that's that's what we did. Uh, and so we so then you did you have uh, I'm sorry. So then you had relationships with I believe the company who made it was Just Toys International, if I'm correct. Yeah, that's right. right. Just Toys made yeah made it, and yeah, we had a deal signed with Just Toys, although we hadn't produced anything yet. But um, mm-hmm. you know, Just Toys they do Minecraft and Angry Birds right. and all this stuff. And so we said, oh, okay, well, yeah, let's do let's let's hook up with Just Toys. Maybe we'll make like I wanted the whole order of No Quarter as little three inch figures, just mm-hmm. like desk figures. Like that would be super cool. Mm. That's like my ideal product. And then the Amiibo thing came along, and it was like, wow, this is like almost exactly what we wanted to do, yeah. but even uh, with a bigger kick in it, right? Because yes. Nintendo's uh, their ability to like market and promote things is crazy, and it would also be great because it's a game, or it's a it's a toy that goes perfectly with the game, and it would be like this big holistic thing that could be really fun and something cool for Nintendo fans. Um, since we were doing the Sony uh, Kratos yep. thing That's and right. the and the Microsoft Battletoads thing, That's right. so we're like, okay, yeah, this will be perfect. So, and so that I mean, that was like more than a year ago, yeah. I would say, uh, when okay. we when we started talking about all this stuff. So were there many prototypes? Like, were there a lot of different um, sort of designs for, for the Amiibo? Like, how quickly or how fast were you able to hone in on this final pose, which which you went with? Yeah, looks so good. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just so satisfying to see those everywhere now after it being, like, such a long process to make it all happen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah as far as the... Uh, as far as the pose goes, I'm trying to think. We initially had a couple of poses that we just drew out, like maybe Shovel Knight digging into a pile of dirt, and the dirt pile would be on the base of the amiibo. Or maybe it would be Shovel Knight jumping or something. But we wanted to avoid, like, I think a lot of the Smash poses, they didn't know they were going to have to make them into amiibo. Totally. Mm-hmm. Right, like it just looks like it's just the Smash art, and they just made they just put the three D models there, and they use posts or whatever to kind of make it all happen. Yeah, which but means you know, that, like half the characters are sitting on ice blocks, or like Link's got his pee stand. They all call yeah, it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I but, think it's 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 very refreshing to see an amiibo that was designed as an amiibo from the ground up, rather than Shovel Knight jumping in the air with like seven. You know, red or clear sticks underneath him holding. Yeah, him up. and so that so that was one of the big things we said is we don't want to have a we don't want to have a weird plastic piece sticking out of anywhere. And we looked at the the Mario line that had just come out for Mario Party, and it was like okay, everyone's just like in their like normal pose. Yep. Right? Like like it's just like Mario with his hands on his hips. Yep. And both so we both said, feet on the ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's just do something like let's just do something very very. Uh, like archetypical of like what would just the regular old shovel knight be because we're only going to get to make one amiibo so let's just make sure that it's like the most solid if you could have one shovel knight on your desk it would be this one so we went with a pose that was like neutral and just like presenting the character in a cool 3d way uh i would say we that that was probably like the there were three or four choices and we honed in on that one pretty quickly okay um we already had a model of shovel knight in 2D of like a turnaround of what he looks like from all angles in this cartoon form, right? Mm-hmm. Which is very different than the sprite Shovel Knight, kind of like how we were talking about before. Um, and so, yeah, we just went to town on it. We had to do things like come up with the Pantone index colors for all of the paint. Like it, it had to be all super official. Yep, yep. And uh, like the, the base had to be machined to very exact specifications to make sure that it was identical to the uh, Smash Brothers bases. Yep. We had to come up with a new emblem to go on the bottom of the Amiibo because every line has their own yeah. uh, emblem. And we had, to, we had to figure out like their, their little... 
um, NFC chips are their little like stickers inside every amiibo that that has all the data on it. And so we had to like get the stickers and and hook them up with the toy people and just make it all make it all kind of happen, set it all up. Uh, and I remember and, you you told me something at PAX about his butt. Shovel Knight's butt. Yeah, like uh, it, it hadn't really been seen from that angle before. I'm uh, not so making yeah, this yeah, up, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, that's Tell right. Tell making it up. And also, well, and the chest on the – especially the chest on the plush, right? Because yeah. originally the front stuck out like way too far. And yep, it, just, yep, yep. it looked like he was like getting a little bit too excited. <laughs> so, yeah, we had, to, we had to rein that in. And okay. of course we went through a bunch of revisions and like the horns – it would be like, oh, the, are the horns even? They're not even. They're not symmetrical. Move one horn in by a millimeter. Yeah. Yeah. or whatever and wow. it, it was just very it was very very exacting and of course working with Nintendo who is like a very exacting company also mm-hmm. they had very strict standards and uh, you know if, if we were going to make an amiibo we were going to have to really do it right mm-hmm. so they were they were with us like every step of the way making sure that it was all kind of going according to plan now you you kind of just threw it out there uh, and I'm not going to let this fly I got to go back to this one but shovel night cereal and fruit snacks how do we make that how do we make that a thing is that a, is that a conversation you're having somewhere okay Okay. All right. Yeah. So, so we we have a licensing. We have like a licensing and merchandising guy that like that is like a member of our team and like gets all the deals, right? Uh huh. And so and so I said I want shovel knight fruit snacks and cereal, and he said, well, you know, food is like kind of more like a year three conversation. Yeah. And so and so now and so now shovel knight is in its third year. And oh it's like yes. Com- yeah. And so it's like we're coming up on uh, on a, a million copies sold. Wow. And, wow. Congrats. Yeah. And so, in fact, I think that we've done now that the game is shipped in stores. I think that we are over a million now. So, so I went back to him and I said, "Hey, you know, f- fruit snacks and cereal." Yeah. And, and he said, "Well, you know, I think it's. I think maybe it's more like a year five conversation." Oh come on, that's that's. I know. <laughs> yeah. I know. So we, that's we, that's we, that's moving the goalposts a little bit. Yeah. No, because yeah. I because I feel like you guys would kill it on a box of cereal. It'd be like there'd be puzzles in the back. There'd be a toy inside. There'd totally, be totally. marshmallows with little you know uh, whole grain shovels you could eat and stuff. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I would I would love to do something like that. Even I mean, if it even was just not, for like a uh, like you made two hundred for packs or something like that. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Maybe like a fan gamer thing. Like yeah. We could, them, we could get them to make some cereal boxes for us. But yep. yeah, I would love to see more shovel knight merch like that we're going to keep pushing as hard as we can hopefully the amiibo sells great and then we can just put more shovel knight shampoo and and shampoo. <laughs> oh, man. and everything yeah. the shampoo uh my my co-host uh for on up at noon here at ign max govo has the robocop shampoo and it's just this nice. nightmare bottle where you screw his head off and <laughs> right. it's got this toxic eight, sludge eight out of and, 10 cyborgs use yeah that shampoo. exactly okay. got it which got is great it. robocop doesn't even have hair yeah yeah, how does Ro- how does RoboCop use that? Shit? I don't think he does. He probably just uses it to like oil his joints or whatever. But right. I, yeah, I would love to see a, a shovel knight bottle of shampoo like that where his head pops off. Yeah, so then, totally. I mean, I had the Mario one when I was a kid. Yeah, oh, me yeah. too, man. No, totally, totally. Yeah. So then, how did you decide on the features for the amiibo? Because that seems like it's a very difficult thing to to hone in on. I mean, even sort of the way Nintendo has done their support on Amiibo seems to seems to vary because, you know, in certain games, it, it's expected to work across multiple games. Right. What sort of entered in your mind? How did you guys settle on, okay, co-op and Amiibo-specific challenges? Like, wh- how did that, uh, did you land on that answer? Uh, well, we, we wanted to add something that was actually cool and important because mm-hmm. we knew that Shovel Knight, the Shovel Knight Amiibo was not going to be in like a ton of different products 
at least not at first. So we wanted to make sure that like if you bought this Amiibo for Shovel Knight, that it was going to really kick ass in Shovel Knight. Um, on, at the same time, even Nintendo warned against like, hey, don't put in like too much content. Don't do anything that would like you know piss people off by yeah. by gating too much of it, you know, behind this thing. And I think you can see that in Nintendo's philosophy is like they're very the the things that you get are cool bonuses, but it's nothing that would make you take out your torches and pitchforks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, because I think ultimately people do look at it as DLC. I've always seen it – I mean we've talked about it on the show before, but I've seen it as the reverse of like you get this cool figurine that has an added bonus of doing other stuff. But right. other people look at it like I got to buy that figurine. You know, it's that right. sort of like backwards philosophy for that. But yeah, that's probably – I mean that's, that's, that's probably very thin ice, right? Yeah, I, we and we thought about it a lot, and we thought, man, co-op would be something. We just really wanted to make co-op in general, and so we said maybe we could do co-op for the amiibo. But then there was the 3ds, and the 3ds, we don't have network play or anything for Shovel Knight, sure. and at this point, it'd be it'd be much too big to add in after the fact, right? Yep. Like doing network code is something that you really have to think about from the beginning if you want to make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, so we didn't want to do a total rewrite, but we really wanted to add co-op, and so we're like, what else can we do? And mm-hmm. so we looked at Smash, and we saw the level, the level fifty leveling up your character. Mm-hmm. Most of the most of the other amiibo that are fully featured in a game had something where you could level it up a lot, and it would unlock something cool that would change your perception of how you played the game a little bit. Right. And so we thought, okay, well, we can do that same thing for Shovel Knight. And we'd just come off the hot on the heels of the Plague Knight expansion, where we had a billion different slottable combinations of powders and fuses and casings and bombs and all this junk. So we were ready to, we were ready to hop into that and say, okay, well let's give shovel Knight, Let's give, let's give shovel Knight basically like the plague Knight set of custom abilities mm-hmm. and just make a, make a few new things, make the way that the progression unlocks work a little different and give you more cool cosmetic options just because you could only be like six or seven colors in the original and then it, when we thought about it all together as one thing, challenge levels included, we're like, all right, this is a pretty compelling package. And we're like, well, is it too much to do? And in typical fashion, we're like, yeah. <laughs> huh. yeah. Yeah, we'll do it, but we'll do it. Yep. Okay. Yeah, so that's kind of where it came from. Uh, wow. No, I, I guess uh, I can't help but look at my shovel knight and think, man, I'd love a plague knight. I mean, how, how do you feel? Would, would you take that opportunity and, and do it again? It sounds like from what you're talking about, like I want, I want cereal on bed sheets. W- would you do this again for the amiibo? <laughs> well, given the I mean, opportunity? the beauty of the amiibo is that now that we have a shovel knight amiibo, it, it would be a lot easier to produce any other amiibo mm-hmm. since we've already signed the deal with Nintendo and gotten the permissions and we've been through the process. So, uh, I mean, I think that's something that we're really just going to have to look at. Like, we're, we're so busy because we're going to be doing Spectre Knight and King Knight and Body Swap and Battle Mode, and we want to get it all done this year. Yeah. And, and so if we want to get it all done this year, is there room for a Plague Knight amiibo in there also? I mean, yeah. I would say, you know, we just have to wait and see. But I, I would say in the future, I would love to do more, more stuff like this. Yeah. Uh, it would be, it would be really, really cool and very, and I think it would also be like pretty attainable. Yeah. I guess yeah. it's more difficult than just doing like a line of desk figures, like you said, right? Because now with an Amiibo, every time you decide, Hey, maybe we should make one. There's also a certain level of content that's expected with oh, yeah. it. It's sure. not, it's not just a cool looking toy. So I don't know, maybe just do some cool looking toys. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, if nothing else, I, I would love to use the same partners that we used to, to do an entire order of no quarter 
yep. line of toys just because I like I just want those figures on my desk, especially like <laughs> the big meaty figures. Like I look at Disney Infinity and all those figures are just so like mouthwatering, right? The yeah. designs are so good. I, I would just I'd love to see like you know regular size shovel knight and a tiny tinker knight and like a giant bulky treasure knight and polar knight. I, I would just love to see those on my desk. That would be really awesome. There yeah. was a uh, yeah maybe oh, no, maybe I mean maybe soon. Uh, I would say never never say never for more amiibo stuff. But right mm-hmm. now there's yeah nothing to really but, talk. But but do say year five for cereal. Yeah yeah year five for cereal. All right, there I'm, I'm going to hold you to that. In general. We, we are going to revisit this conversation in two years. I love I love we'll my cereal. <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> seriously let's yeah let's do that. I, hopefully hopefully I won't hear that it's a year seven. <laughs> oh man, he's pushing it back. It's like um, you can have a puppy when you get a job. Like what? <laughs> right. <laughs> So there was a there was a huge uh, fan sort of reaction movement, or at least it felt huge. I mean, the internet it's always hard to tell what what is a big reaction, and what isn't. Sometimes um, to get Shovel Knight and Smash, uh, I'm yeah, curious uh, to hear your your thoughts or your reaction to that. Like, what what was going through your mind when you heard that? Well, I I mean, unless you are owned, I'd say like unless you're owned by Nintendo. Mm then you would have to be, I would say you have to be like a pretty well-established character to be considered for Smash Brothers. Um, you know, Smash was already done before Shovel Knight had even come out, mm-hmm. right? Or, or it was very, very close. And I figure kind of any, um, yeah, I, fi- I figured it was just too soon, right? Like there would be no way that Shovel Knight would be in, in Smash Brothers or that we would even be considered for it. Uh, I mean, it's a, it was a really super cool idea, you know, who knows, maybe, maybe when the NX comes out, then we'll be in NX smash or something like that. Sure. But, it, but it just seemed like it was really just too early. Although the outpouring of support was like really, really amazing. I would, I would have never expected to see like so many people so fervent about wanting shovel Knight and like smash, you know, like in one of their favorite games. And yeah, I mean, that would be like the ultimate dream. I play, I mean, I play an hour of smash every day. Like I would love, I would love to see Shovel Knight and Smash Brothers. Is that, is that how Yacht Club settles arguments? Like I say, let's settle it in Smash right now. Yeah, no, I've, it's only it's all Mega Man all the time. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, I could, I, I totally understand why it was two ships passing in the night, uh, and I totally understand why the audience was like he, he should be in there because he does make perfect sense. Like, I mean, he's perfectly in tune with uh the sort of the aesthetic and a lot of the the philosophy behind the, uh, why characters are included in smash um yeah. i personally would have rather had him than maybe the 11th fire emblem character yeah <laughs> but that's so just weird, me right yeah that's just yeah. me um but yeah no i i would love i would love to see him integrated in in other games down the line i think that's like one of the cooler things that if you guys were to keep going with that sort of uh thinking of shovel knight like he was an nes character i mean we did you guys already did like you know shovel knight versus battletoads basically we did have battletoads versus double dragon like the longer a character used to go he would start popping up in other games and and do crossover stuff so i if it's not smash immediately it would be really cool to see shovel knight sort of show up in other things eventually yeah, I would. I mean, we're all about that, and we've already had Shovel Knight in like several other indie games, right? Yep. Like Runbow. Like Shovel, yeah, Shovel yep. Knight was in Runbow, mm-hmm. and we we'd love to continue to do stuff like that. And you know, Nintendo is very, very protective of their IP and of their games. Mm-hmm. And I think as long as uh, I think we'll just keep we'll just keep doing 
our best and we'll keep trying as hard as we can, sure. you know, kind of like until Nintendo Senpai notices us and, and puts us in the game. Yep. <laughs> sure, sure. Or who knows? Yeah. I mean, just the fact that Nintendo is even sort of licensing some of their characters to, to, uh, to outside developers to do cool things with. I mean, we could almost look at a future where we can hope you know, Yacht Club can do something with a Nintendo character if you guys are willing. I mean, I know that that's got to be a decision that comes from you. Sure. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's we, I, we've definitely gotten a few cool offers from people that wanted us to make or wanted us to reboot their Nintendo style brand or their Nintendo style game. Um, but in general, we, well, first off, we're super busy on Shovel Knight. And we also really like to make our own stuff, you know? We, Battletoads was perfect because we just got to kind of, like, have fun with those characters and bring them into our game and make this little side thing just, like, as a as just something for people to enjoy. And so maybe in the future we could keep doing things like that. But, like, I mean, if Nintendo called and said, hey, we want you guys to do a new 2D Metroid, I don't, I mean... I couldn't say no to that. That'd be, that'd be, that'd be really hard to say no to. Yeah, that yeah. that would Lord be knows sort of your your company's name on the show has constantly come up tied to that. Um, oh yeah, just as I mean, Brian I think brings it up like at least once a month. Oh um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so it would be so good. I mean, if we could do a if we could do a Metroid or a Mega Man or, yeah. I mean, that would just be. The, those are the ones that I would really have trouble saying no to. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, Sean, thank you so much. Uh, we wish you lots of success in the future. Definitely appreciate that you were able to take the time to talk to us. And uh, definitely looking out for more Shovel Knight than in 2016 until you guys are done and then move on to hopefully uh, whatever the next thing is. And we're really excited to learn whatever that will be when the time comes. Yeah, yeah cool. Yeah, thank you so much. I mean, yeah, it's going to be a busy year, right? We've got the King Knight expansion, mm-hmm. the Spectre Knight expansion more challenge mode stages, a body swap mode where all the male characters become female and vice versa, <laughs> and finally a four-player couch battle mode. So it's, it's going to be a busy year. Man, but, that uh, dance at the tavern is going to be amazing Yeah, <laughs> when that body swap happens. <laughs> I'm excited yeah, for that. Yeah. yeah, you'll be able to switch them kind of like any way you want. So whatever set of bodies you want, you can, you can do it all. Interesting. So yeah, it, should be, it should be pretty fun. We're working on that right now. That should, hopefully that will come out uh, – that, that'll come out sooner rather than later. But we, we really don't know anything about the releases or anything for that right now. We're, we're just kind of digging into, uh, into the new Nice pun. That was good. Digging. Digging. No pun intended. How many times a week do you do that by accident? <laughs> All the time. At this point, we're just – uh, we're, we're moving on to new sets of puns around new things mm. because the – now, now that you're buried in work – Oh, oh, it's time. It's time. Sean, thank you so much again. Yeah, thanks, Sean. Uh, anytime yeah, so you want to come back really on the show. It. Yep, definitely. Take care. All right. Thank you for checking that interview out. We are back and we're here to sign off. Thank you for listening to Tell the Voice Chart. We are a weekly show on IGN, but we are not, in fact, the only show on IGN. We're not. In fact, uh, Vault IGN is coming to the end of its run. You can listen to that. Uh, Jared, why don't you tell folks, like, do you do you have a plan for when? Or? We, don't, we don't have an uh, – actually, uh, coming to the end of its run may or may not be true. I, that's, your, that's your fallout yeah. show, right? Really? Yeah. Yeah. So, so you, I heard I, – this is what I heard. I heard we were ramping down. Is that not true? I, I, I can neither confirm nor deny these rumors, okay. much like the NX. Okay. Uh, I can tell you that uh, next week we're doing the spoiler cast. Okay. And uh, that uh, beyond that, I beyond- am, Stop it, please. Uh, no. <laughs> I, I cannot speak to exactly what the future holds. Okay. Future. 
Got it. All right. Well, then uh, stay tuned for that instead. I apologize. I almost killed your podcast no, on no, our like, podcast. Oh, no. <laughs> it's 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 uh, rumors were greatly exaggerated. Um, yeah, you can leave us feedback by going to either iTunes and leaving us a review, or by emailing mvc at ign.com. Lastly, you can find us all on Twitter. So Brian is not here, but I will remind you that you can find him on Twitter at Agent Bizzle. Brap, brap. <laughs> you can find Per Schneider at Per IGN. You can find Jared Petty at Petty Comma Jared. And you can find myself, Jose underscore Otero, on Twitter. Thank Jared. you very much for listening. Say inconceivable. Inconceivable. And we'll be back next week with more Nintendo Voice Chat. It's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.